You sound wonderful. Do you have a new microphone? Um, no, I got, no, I actually, you know what? I probably have the blackjack since the last time we talked. I got a two by two. Yeah, that's exactly uh, that, what I have. It's nice. I like it. Um, I've only had occasional occurrences where it turns me into a Dalek, but otherwise it's <laughs> fine. Uh, my thing is that I took, a, I got the thing set up where, uh, it, I apparently sound okay. And then I took a picture of all these crazy dials. <laughs> if I ever lose that picture, I'm screwed. You're just like, I need to commit this to memory. Make Jonas right. memorize it. Then I have fine. no idea what any of this stuff means. It's so it's very <laughs> confusing to me, especially the, the all the extra buttons, the in and out. It's like, oh, oh yeah, there's oh. there are too many, especially if you only have one mic set up and you're not using the input monitor and it's just going into your computer. There's there's a lot more than you actually need there. Yeah, I think that as I get older, I'm really rocketing towards demanding extreme extreme simplicity <laughs> in everything I use. But it's like. The podcast, I do enough podcasts where it really is worth it for me to sound as good as I possibly can. And so I gave up on my beloved, just plug it into a USB microphone, you know, mm -hmm. which I loved in theory, but everybody agrees that ever since I switched to this, I sound better. So I put it. Yeah. The, the mixers, mixers make everything sound great. Although I did find a lightning USB mic that's not terrible that I've been using recently on the road. So that's my, that's my good backup for now. So what do you? All right, all right. Let's 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 consider this part of the show. So a, light, a lightning. <laughs> what would what what does that mean? You mean like podcasting from like an iPad? Um, yeah, uh, I podcasting from an iPad is still a pain in the ass, but um, being able to record your audio on the go is really helpful. Uh, previous to that, I had like a little tiny lav mic that you'd plug into the headphones of your iPhone jack. And it was just, right. you know, it was better than talking on your iPhone, but not by much. And, uh, I, I accidentally drowned my MacBook air. So my iPad is the only portable computer I have right now, which is kind of terrifying. Wait, wait, which one did you drown? <laughs> I drowned my MacBook air. How? My poor 11 inch MacBook air was sitting next to my MacBook pro or, uh, my, uh, my, my iPad pro. And, uh, yeah, bad things happened. I guess I do have a 15-inch MacBook Pro that's, like, six years old at this point, but I haven't booted it on in, like, two years. Oh, man. So what are you going to do? This is, like, a bad time to replace a MacBook. Yeah, exactly. So I'm like, well, I've got the iPad Pro, and I was making all this hay about, yeah, I do most of my work on it, which is true. I do do a lot of, like, my portable work on the iPad now. But I was still like, oh God, now I have no safety net. Yeah, more on that later. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but, we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, but I, but um, but podcasting mics. So I tried the uh, the Shure for a while, and right. that that thing is a beautiful mic that is absolutely horrible because it requires a very it requires a specific app, and it just it won't work if you just plug it into the iPad. You have to open like the Shure app or GarageBand, and anything else just is like, nope, I don't recognize you as a microphone. Sorry, you don't get to work, which is infuriating. Um, so I got oh, what's it called? Um, now I have to find it. Um, I picked up the um, the Apogee. Not the not the Apogee one, the uh, one of its one of the little ones that's like two hundred bucks um, from the Apple Store on a whim, and I love it. It's so good, and it works for everything. Hmm. So I'm I. This is like one of those things where I I don't know. Maybe I'm just an idiot, but it's whenever I read about people trying to podcast from uh, an iPad, I, I get very confused, and so I, I get in some ways it's I guess simpler than podcasting from a Mac and that, you know, all the multitasking involved in the different apps and everything I have installed to do this 
in some ways is more complicated, but because the Mac can do so many things at the same time and you don't have to worry about which app is frontmost or whatever, and you can mm-hmm. run things, you know, dirty little hacks like call recorder for Skype, uh, to me, it just makes sense. It's like, just totally makes sense. And when I, and, and supposedly, I, I still didn't go back and watch the video, but I heard that in the event last month when, when Phil Schuler said, now you can podcast you know this is great for podcasters that they they cut to me in the audience oh like, yeah they, they cut to the whole section of just like right. everybody being like what right yeah i don't know if that app if that app if the accessory really makes it easier for podcasters if you have it makes it easier to run your powered microphones sure but it doesn't actually fix the core podcasting problem on ios which right. is what you were just talking about the fact that like there is really no support for core audio um, and for background app, like multi, multi-threading audio right. throughout apps. So like if you're going to record, if you're going to do a podcast on a, an iPad, if you're doing it locally, it's not a huge deal, especially with that powered adapter, because then you can basically just plug your mixer into the powered adapter if it's a USB mixer and then you've got you've got mics. Uh, but if you're trying to do a remote show, like if we were trying to do this show right now on the iPad, right. what I would have to do is I'd have to have my iPad open with either with Skype or with voice memos or whatever recording thing. And then my iPhone, uh, whatever device I wasn't using to run Skype, I'd have to plug my Apogee mic into and run voice memos from there. So it's basically like you have to use two devices. Right. And of course, your natural Skype call is going to sh- sound like shit because right. you're not actually recording through the good, or you're not actually talking through the good mic. Right. But like you, on a Mac, you need two apps. So, like yeah. for example, mm-hmm. we use I use almost all the ninety percent of the time. I use Skype for the connection, and then and then I use uh, an app called Call Recorder, which sort of runs as a, a extension within Skype. But you could use just about anything. There's mm-hmm. any app that can record audio. You could. I mean, lots of people just use QuickTime. You can just open the QuickTime Player app and say new audio recording. Pick the same microphone as the input. Mm-hmm. And so like what you hear, you know, like I don't I, – I, it's a little inside baseball. But for anybody out there, like to me, you sound as good to me right now as I'm talking to you as you would if I were just listening to the show after it's being done editing because I hear you through the same microphone that you're recording. Whereas – so it's two apps, one to record, one to do the connection and – but if you do it on iOS, you have to use two devices. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is just ridiculous. And two it microphones. Feels, I mean, it's doable. Like I did it last uh, last fall when I was on vacation when the iPad Pro first came out. I did a podcast um, with with Mike Hurley and Jason Snell. I was a guest on Upgrade, and so I did it that way because I literally I only had my iPad, my iPhone, and an iPad mic. So there was no other way. Like I couldn't just be like, I won't, I'm I'm going to try and use a computer because there was no computer available to me. So it's doable if you're in that pinch, but it's definitely not what I would call a uh, a first rate solution. It's right. that podcasting is not what you go to iOS for. Right. Ah, <laughs> <sighs> uh, so um, what is your uh, Apple? T- is your Apple TV uh, remote lost or not lost? At the moment? <laughs> it is not lost at the moment. Thank goodness. <laughs> Um, it is, it is sitting on my desk right now next in, in its studio neat stand. <laughs> you, I think, was it just today that this came out? Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it's, I saw the, the headline is, this is Serenity's article at iMore. It says wish list someday. I would like to stop losing my Siri remote. <laughs> yes. Um, I, this came about because I saw, um, Susie Oaks tweet, uh, a Macworld story 
um, by, I can't remember who wrote it. I think it was Jared Devine um, who wrote uh, a story basically being like, I've stuck a tile to the back of my Siri remote and now I can find it. And simultaneously, I'm like, that's really smart. And oh God, is this what we've really come to? <laughs> like, is, is the only way that I'm going to be able to find my Siri remote to be able to stick a, a device that's pretty much half the size of the Siri remote to the back of the Siri remote and do it every year because the tiles only last 12 yeah. months. <laughs> yeah, the tiles being the, uh, was it, a, oh, yeah. it was a Kickstarter project, right? Yeah, There's... yeah, there are little Bluetooth trackers um, that connect to your iPhone. Uh, so that, And then because they're, they're Bluetooth, and then they have a tiny speaker embedded. So it, it works Similarly to to the Find iPhone button on the on the Apple Watch, where you just you press the button and then your your wallet or your keys or whatever ring. And I have tiles for my wallet and my keys, and they're very useful. But I don't. I wouldn't put it on the the, the remote. It's so thin. It just looks. It looks like I'm. I've just stuck a battery pack on my remote for what for for the purposes of the teensiest little speaker in the world. I love it's one of my favorite Apple Watch features is the ability to ping your iPhone. I don't lose my iPhone very often or I don't misplace it or forget where it goes. But then when you do, it'll drive you crazy. And being Oh my able, gosh. <laughs> and being able to ping it from the watch is so much better. It's so much more convenient than logging in to find my iPhone to play the sound. It's so it's much more convenient. <laughs> it's a great feature and it just sort of makes sense in the look. It's all in the same house or same, you know. If you assume it's all in the same house and everything's already hooked up to the same network or whatever, one of these things should be able to find the other. And they yep. can both make noise and they both are, you know, loosely connected at all times. So it makes sense that you'd be able to do that. So I feel like there's got to be a solution like this for the remote. You should be able to, like, say, like, hey, Apple TV, where's the goddamn remote? And then it will beep the remote. Seriously. I mean, I so I kind of I said this in my article, but I kind of understand why it wasn't a feature at launch. Because they, I mean, they were rushing to get this thing out the door and the the remote app for the iPhone wasn't even ready. So there was, you know, if the remote app for the iPhone wasn't going to be ready, there was physically no button for them to be able to press to be like, find iPhone. And because the, uh, because the Siri speaker or the Siri um, microphone is built into the remote, not into the Apple TV, you can't just like shout to the heavens like you might to an Amazon Echo being like, where's my remote? Um, although that would be a cool feature, Apple, just saying. But what I'm kind of hoping for is, like, the Siri remote just connects to the Apple TV via Bluetooth. And theoretically, Apple could design a next-generation remote without having to make us buy an entirely new Apple TV. Like, they could just sign it and say, this works with this Apple TV, and then just insert a tiny little speaker. Because it already works via Bluetooth. Right. So it already has the connection inherent, you know, to to send a ping to the remote to say, yo, make a sound wherever you are. I just don't, I don't think there's a speaker in the remote right now. There's only a no, microphone. No, I don't think so either. Or if yeah. there is, it's, it's never used for anything. So it's... <laughs> if there is, it's so hidden that iFixit right. couldn't even find it. <laughs> but, I and again, I, I always file this under... Look, I know it's a lot easier for us on the outside to tell Apple to put another $2 component into this device and that device. And it's very easy to say, you know, to, to quickly dissipate Apple's profit oh, sure. margins. But I really do think that for the price that Apple charges for Apple t for the Apple TV and for the, like, what what did the extra, aren't the extra remotes like 60 bucks? Yeah, the, remote, the extra remote I think is $79. Yeah, so <laughs> look, if it's a $79 remote, you can put, I'm sorry, Tim Cook, you can put a 
you can put a speaker in there that doesn't have to be high fidelity. Just no. has to be. It it just needs to be loud enough to be heard through sofa cushions. All yeah. All I need is a is a nice high pitched like submarine like beep. Like it doesn't even have to be pleasant to the ears. I just need to be able to find it. Right. Um. And yeah. And they could sell. That's the thing. Is like Apple tomorrow could come out with Apple TV remote now with speaker. And theoretically, you could just buy it and pair it to your Apple TV. Like, that's what I want them to do. I'm like, yes, don't don't worry about releasing it with your next generation Apple TV. Take, take time to, like, upgrade and, that hardware. But Just to put a speaker and somehow an asymmetric button arrangement so that you can <sighs> yes, in it. So that you can figure out which way is up. You know, do you do you uh, have the remote strap? Because that's what no, I eventually ended up I, doing. I don't like the strap because it's always flapping around. What I did yeah. is I took a piece of gaffer's tape and wrapped it around... <laughs> The bottom. Oh, so you have the texture. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it goes on the side. The texture because it, it's a piece of tape that wraps around all the way around, mm-hmm. and so I can feel it from the sides, and it's a lot easier. Yeah, and it doesn't completely degrade the look of it because black gaffer's tape right. blends in. Yeah, I like that. That's smart. Um, yeah, but I still feel like it's ridiculous that I've I've got to <laughs> jury rig a design solution to an eighty dollar remote control. Well, the, yeah, exactly. The worst part is I'm picking, I just picked up my remote and my remote's upside down right now. This is the remote that doesn't have the strap on it. Um, and with the, like all of the icons are so minimalist that even holding it upside down, the only way that you know that you're holding it upside down is that menu. The only, the only word on the, on the thing is upside down. And even when you're first looking at it, the U in menu kind of looks like an N and then the N is still right side up. So you read like two letters in before you're like, before your brain registers, oh, this isn't word. Maybe I should flip this around. I don't know. It's, it's painful. I find that the, the, the longer we go with this remote, the more I, the more worrisome I consider it as an exhibit in the case against the slight decline of overall design quality coming out of apple these days you know yeah. that's a long title for the lawsuit but <laughs> but i do feel that it's a pretty good example because it's great technology and i love the it basic is. idea and i really love uh I, it's time goes on i really really like the the interface that as you use the trackpad and that the way that the uh forget the name of it it's not ui kit but whatever they call it the yeah the on the on the apple tv right but the way that things pop up as there's to indicate what's selected um, Mm -hmm. i find it so intuitive really like it i I like it so much as time goes on the the talk to it thing i know other devices you know have this now too but um like my jonas is going through a, a friend's bender He's obsessed. He's twelve years old, obsessed with the show <laughs> Friends on Netflix, and it's so awesome because he's got it timed now. He knows exactly when the theme song kicks in, exactly how many seconds to jump ahead. So <laughs> skip he skip ahead forty five seconds. Skip oh ahead gosh. thirty. It's thirty five <laughs> seconds. He's got like a and there's like a certain point in the song, like like a line or two in where he does it, and it and it finishes exactly with like the the final strum of the theme song it oh my gosh ju- and he's always like he likes to nail it so that he doesn't miss a single thing um <laughs> it's a great feature 35 seconds so in other words a 30 second skip wouldn't be quite right you'd get five extra seconds of the song mm-hmm. that you wouldn't want um but i still think that the there's so many little details of it that the Getting those details right are the is the whole reason Apple is Apple, and that, yeah. that that they didn't with this is to me a little alarming. It's such a small thing to complain about the the Siri remote that comes with Apple TV, but it's exactly the sort of little thing that to me that that they're 
should be famous for getting right. Yeah, well, it's the small stuff. And I mean, there's been plenty of talk about how, despite the fact that this, you know, box has been in development for four years, how rushed this version was out right. the door. And I can't help but feel that the remote was a partial casualty of that because I see, like, I see where they wanted it to go. And I see how it's a natural evolution of the Apple TV v remote from the third generation Apple TV. But also looking at, like, looking at the Apple TV and looking what it, wh- how we work with it and how it's also, po- also supposed to be a game controller. Uh, I, I'm just like, Apple, you didn't need to make it be a stick. Like, it, it, it doesn't have to look like the third generation Apple right. TV. It would have been okay if it was, like, a little bit fatter or a little bit wider or even a different shape. Right. Because it's just, you know what? I, I, don't, I don't need a, a remote that looks like a Nano. I need a remote that works and is pra- functional. Practically and- <laughs> speaking, there there's a you know a definite conflict between the perceived aesthetic uh, advantage of being symmetric and the completely <laughs> undeniable usability advantage of being asymmetric. Mm-hmm. Whether that's it like making it a wedge shape sort of, you know, in profile like a MacBook Air or making it a wedge shape like a Star Destroyer where it's more of a triangle. I mean, there's all sorts of ways that you could make it asymmetric, right? You, mm-hmm. uh, or or a round type thing. I know uh, a lot of people are big fans of TiVo remotes. I actually find TiVo remotes to be very pleasant to hold, the peanut shape. But the yeah. fact that the peanut is symmetric actually has the same problem, in my opinion. That I feel like a TiVo remote would be better if it was only, you know... Like slightly asymmetric. Yeah, an asymmetric, you know. Like a weird, you know, like when you're eating peanuts and you get like a weird one where like the, you know, the, there's like a, a <laughs> The fatter... bottom is a little bit oversized. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Something like well, that. I'm, I'm holding the Apple TV or the Siri remote in my hand right now. And I'm, I'm thinking back to the, like the Jeff Daniels commercial about the four inch iPhone and like moving your, your thumb from one end of the corner to the other. Yeah. And there's just not enough, like I have relatively small hands and even with relatively small hands and long fingers, there's not enough bottom of the Siri remote to grip in order to be able to comfortably place your thumb so that you hit the like minus end of the volume button and the play pause and also access comfortably the trackpad. Yeah. You're kind of like you're gripping it with like a finger and a half in order to be able to reach down that far and then also reach up like the actual the the usable area between the buttons and the top of the trackpad is totally thumb reachable. But but you can't you just can't hold it comfortably. Yep. And if you're going to hum- hold it comfortably, which is like moving it up in your hand so that all four fingers are are creaching it and like the bottom left corner of the Apple T or the Siri remote is like comfortably in your hand, um, then you really have to like go into your hand with your thumb to actually reach the bottom buttons. So from a just from a comfortability standpoint and a this is how I am holding a remote, it's just it's awkward. It's awkward yep. on your thumb. Um I would be remiss if I do not mention, I know it'll keep some email from coming because I've gotten tons of it from, from readers pointing out, asking if I noticed, and yes, I did, that in the new version of the Apple TV OS, I think it's version 2.2. Two, yeah. Um, that they've changed the behavior of the remote trackpad so oh, that... Thank God. <laughs> right. And the change is that the trackpad, in terms of being receptive to like fast-forwarding or, or skipping ahead only is sensitive to that once you've clicked it to pause. Yes. So if you're playing video and you pick up the remote and you pick it up upside down or the way you pick it up, your finger touches the trackpad, nothing happens until you click. Whereas until version 2.2, it was immediately live, 
which I can see. And to me, it's just like it just reeks of being designed in an office with the lights on and you're looking at it and you could see it as opposed to being actually like play tested in a real living room at night with, you know, where you can't see the remote or you're not. Well, you have the, yeah, you have the lights off or you have your hue lights on to movie mode or whatever, and you can't see the remote. But moreover, the biggest problem to me when I first got the Apple TV remote is I'm I'm the type of person where like we have a like a, a deep couch. So I will usually curl up on the couch to watch something and then the remote will either go on the arm or it will go on the cushion next to me, which also that's probably why I'm losing all of these remotes. <laughs> but um what, in nine one, the original you know version of the Apple TV software, I would move, and even touching the the trackpad area with like my leg or my clothing would instantly start the scrub. Right, and there there is a I think it's the play pause button will like will take you out of the scrub motion. But for the life of me, I could never remember which button that was uh, when I, before I kind of learned the interface. And it's just like you're in the scrub, and now you're in panic, right? Because you're like, oh god, I've accidentally scrubbed forty five minutes ahead, and I don't remember where I am, and I can't touch the trackpad. Right, and so if, you're, gotta, wa- if yeah. you're watching with anybody else, you immediately get the hey, yeah, know, it's like, like what did I'm you sorry. do? And I'm, I'm like, sorry, I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Right. Yeah, so that that improvement to nine two, like there are a lot of really really good improvements in the in the nine point two software update to Apple TV, but that was prob that was the one where I I you know got up out of my chair and like raised my hands and like thanks and gratitude because it's like I would trigger it pretty much every time I watch television, and now yes, it's a little bit you know it's more involved, and I under like I get the thinking behind it, right? I the right. the development process where they say. Oh yeah, well no, we we want you to just be able to swipe across right. it because otherwise the feature isn't discoverable or it's not easy enough and too many clicks and I get the institutional thinking behind that, but in usability, you know, I don't mind making the the, the extra click to scrub. Yeah. And in fact, yeah. it's it's much better. It's why you have to try stuff and you can't just think. It sounds like a great idea. Mm-hmm. It was totally worth trying. <laughs> it should not have shipped. No, usability. <laughs> but I, it <laughs> but it totally sounds like a good idea. Yeah. Don't make me wait. Don't make me wait for a click. Just start scrubbing. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Make it easy, except for the fact that your trackpads don't recognize the difference between a leg and a finger, <laughs> <laughs> or picking it up upside down. All right, let me take a break here and thank our first sponsor. It is our good friends at Igloo. We all struggle with productivity. We're all constantly under pressure to accomplish more, do it faster, and all teams, small groups, companies have evolved their own ways to communicate to share data. Um, Every, everybody's system is different than everybody else's. Let's face it. Well, Igloo can help you keep doing things your way only better. It's the intranet that you will actually like. Collaboration shouldn't be painful. It shouldn't force a whole system on your team. Uh, and that's the way Igloo is designed. Um, go to igloosoftware.com slash TTS, TTS being the initials of the talk show, uh, and you'll get a free trial right there at Igloo Software. And you can just start using it right now. Uh, You get a 30-day free trial for as many people as you want. If you have a team of 10 people or fewer, you can just use it for free indefinitely, which is fantastic for a small enough team. And here's the thing. You can just use the parts of Igloo that you need to fill in the gaps in your collaboration right now. And they have got so much stuff. They've got stuff like what they call a microblog, which think of it as like your own private Twitter just for your group. 
fantastic little feature. Uh, great way to share links and stuff like that that might be about like competitors or something like that. The type of stuff that you wouldn't want to share on public Twitter, but you'd want to have you know be able to tweet to each other in the same way. Great little feature. Uh, calendars, file sharing. Uh, Things like uh, read notifications for documents that you've shared with other people on your team. If you need that, you can use it. If you don't need it, you don't have to worry about it. Don't turn it on. So configurable. So many options to choose from. Really, really easy to get started using it and to set it up. And it's even easier to actually use. Uh, so sign up now at igloosoftware.com slash TTS. Uh, so I may, maybe we should get right to the... <laughs> the, meat. I, the iPad Pro. This is really what I want to talk about is the new 9.7 inch iPad Pro, which I've been using since the event and I still haven't written about. Because um, I'm finding it really hard to, not hard, but it, it I, I detect on Twitter that this is, in some ways to me, looking at it objectively, the 9.7 inch iPad Pro is maybe the most. It, purest modern like it, it it symbolizes everything that apple is doing today overall and mm -hmm. to me it's like right in the middle it's not small like an iphone it's not big like a mac it's running their most popular os ios 9 um it's a form factor that has evolved the least of anything from where it started right mm -hmm. like the 9.7 inch display is exactly what the original ipad had um all they've done is make it thinner, flatter, and lighter over the years. And then starting with the iPad Airs, they got rid of the bezels on the side. Um, very, very – to me, it's very, very similar in so many ways to the original iPad. Just better. Very much. Um, and yet, to me, it's the one device that I see on Twitter and I can see in my email from readers that makes some people the angriest. <laughs> and I, it's like – to me, it's like the most innocent and like non – uh, it shouldn't be controversial, least controversial uh, computing device that Apple makes in the entire lineup, and yet it seems to be the one that has makes people the angriest. How dare you insinuate that an iPad might ever replace my beautiful, wonderful Macintosh? How dare you? That's that's the, the gist, gist right? Yeah, yeah, the gist of it is <laughs> is outrage at the claim <laughs> that that you can get you could do your work on it. And, or that anyone could do their work on it, mm -hmm. and that it therefore doesn't deserve to be called pro. Even though just putting the word pro in the name seems to, oh to rile some people up. And yeah. I don't get it. And I, I, and I come at this from the perspective of somebody who even just earlier on the show talking to you about the podcast. Me personally, I, I, I won't say couldn't because couldn't is too strong a word. But I don't like working from an iPad of any sort compared to working on a Mac. You don't prefer it. <laughs> I do not prefer it. And I often, f I feel hamstrung. I mm -hmm. feel like I'm I'm doing my work with chopsticks instead of with my fingers directly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was right there with you until last November. Um, and that's, and I feel like that's totally fine. Like I don't, I, folks who have been using the Mac for years and years and years who have extensive workflows on the Mac and are comfortable with their Macintosh, like, I I completely understand why the initial impression to the iPad is a, a little bit of abject horror and and even like a uh, – I'm, I'm making like the cartoon like, oh, evil, like hands crossed, frightened face about about the iPad. Uh, but it's not – it's not here to 
to take away your Mac. Like I really, <laughs> I, I really feel like maybe it's just a bumper sticker that comes right. with the iPad. It's like this, this isn't intended to destroy the iMac or even really to destroy the laptop. It I, is a different type of computer. I don't, I really don't get the anger. And I say that, like I said, as somebody who personally does not, pref- really strongly does not prefer to use it for what I would consider my work. Um, I, I, that's me personally. I don't, but I t- completely don't deny that other people would see advantages to it. And, and I, so I don't understand the anger at it. And I, you know, and I guess, and I think it maybe even plays into like what we were saying earlier when we were saying that with, with your poor 11 uh, inch MacBook Air that got drowned, <laughs> that it's not a good time to buy a Mac. And so, it, like, it, I love the, the Mac rumors buying guide. Oh, which yeah. <laughs> is a great service. Whenever anybody asks me for advice on should I get a new Mac now, I don't even listen to rumors. I just say, just go look at the Mac rumors buying guide. And they don't even really go by rumors. They they list them, I guess. But for the most part, it's just how many days has it been since the last time Apple revved this device? And mm-hmm. what's the average in history for this device in terms of how long does Apple go? And if if it's green, it means, hey, this is a fairly new product. Definitely, you should feel free to buy it now because it's probably early in the product cycle. And then they have like a yellow, like eh, mid-range. And then red means, look, this is overdue. Historically, this is overdue for a revision. Well, right now, just about the entire Mac lineup is in the red. Everything that. except the iMacs, yeah. <laughs> Everything except the, the iMacs that have these the the new uh, high, you know, high gamut displays. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that's historical circumstance. I just think that's just the way it's worked out with Apple's focus and with Apple and Intel's roadmap and and et cetera. And I think we'll you know we'll see revisions to an awful lot of stuff either be, before WWDC or at WWDC in June. Um, but I kind of feel like, and in, in, in some kind of emotional way, it's it contributes to the anger <laughs> that people yeah. are worried that people who are worried that. That this means that they're going to either make the Mac go away or just just not pay attention to the entire Mac lineup, that it's proof of it. Or make it different. Because you really think about it, with the exception of the 4K and the 5K iMac, the last real new Mac we saw was the 12-inch MacBook which also made a lot of people mad for different reasons. <laughs> right. Well, but sort <laughs> of. It's different and similar reasons. Yeah, right, it's, because yeah. in terms of only having a headphone jack and one USB-C port and literally not even a separate one for power. Those are the only two things you can yeah. plug in. <laughs> it is sort of the iOSification of Mac hardware. Like yeah. I, I think I, the way I wrote last year was that a lot of people have been worried for a long time that Mac OS is software is going to get iOSified too far and take away what we love about the Mac operating system. Mm-hmm. And what we've seen actually with the MacBook is it's really the hardware that's gotten more like iOS than the software. Where yeah. you know you, there's no battery to take out anymore. I mean, that, I don't. At this point, it almost feels silly that we used to be able to take out our MacBook batteries. Oh yeah. I mean, and you honestly, you even look at other folks who have like smartphones where you can take out the battery and you're like, what? This right. is a thing? Uh, yeah, I... RAM that Mac- soldered onto the motherboard. Yeah, God forbid like you were able to replace your own RAM. I mean, it was great. It was, a, you it, know, it was. but they're trade-offs. But it's definitely, I don't see how anybody could deny that that the Mac hardware has gotten very a, a large injection of the design sensibility of iOS. 
Yeah, but it also goes back, I mean, to almost the first, you know, the, the first real generation of Macs, too, because the Mac Plus was not exactly very tinkerable when right. you think about it. Like, you could expand the RAM, I think. That was about it. Well, it was, they, that was when they they first started using <laughs> special screws. That you, yeah. Right? <laughs> so it's not – it's funny to me when the people are like, oh, Apple has never done this before. Right. You used to be able to tinker with all your hardware. And I'm like, no, I think you were a PC user in the 90s. Apple has never really – like, right. there have been bits and pieces. But, yeah, the new, the new MacBook – and it's funny because I did – when I drowned my air, that was the question of like, okay, what's my next laptop going to be? Am I going to go to the like the 12-inch MacBook USB-C? Is that going to happen? Um, am I going to pray that they, you know, come out with a revved air, which is probably never going to happen? Am I going to go back to a pro? Uh, or am I just going to keep on using the iPad? And it's just like, that's that's a big question mark for me because I will always have a desktop Mac. Like, there's no question. I need I need a superpower machine that I can do high quality editing on, that I can for now do podcasts on, you know, with a little bit less complication than trying to use two devices. Uh, but as a laptop, I've like, as I was saying, I, I was very skeptical of doing work on an iPad because I had tried, I tried in 2010, I tried in 2012, I tried in 2013, I tried in 2014 when the iPad Air 2 came out. Um, and when the iPad Pro finally came out, the only reason why I spent more than three days with it was the pencil yeah. being like, oh, well, I can draw on this thing. So I took it and nothing else on a two week vacation. And I was just kind of like, you know what, I'm going to take this because I want to draw. And I'm mostly on vacation, so I don't have to worry about doing a lot of work. But if I have to do work, I'll figure out some way to like muddle through it. Right. Um, and what I ended up discovering was in those two weeks, I ended up doing quite a bit of work because, of course, the iPad Pro had just come out. And I started writing, like, the iPad Pro experiment series on iMore, um, which was just me attempting to do various uh, various facets of my normal work on the iPad um, with surprisingly good success, with the exception of podcasts, which were still, like, a horrible, right. you know, hellstorm to do. Uh, I figured out ways to to do photo editing and to to post my stuff and and to do all of my research and to write, um, in a and and to make movies to to cut movies to cut audio, and the more I used the pro and the more I used workflow, um, which Federico Vitici at Mac Stories his guides have basically been invaluable to that. Uh, the more I got started to get really comfortable with it, right? Where it's like it it felt a lot like the first the first time I ever used copy paste shortcuts on the Mac when I was like nine and my dad was like, PS, here's a faster way to do all of the like write the same sentence five <laughs> times in a row. Um, but it felt like that. It felt it felt like, oh, I I kind of understand how an iPad's supposed to be used as like or rather how it's supposed to be used as a professional work device, how I how I can use it as a professional work device. And once I got into that mindset, it became a lot easier when I came back and I did have the MacBook Air accessible and I did have my desktop. I was like, okay, I can do all of this on my iPad and it has the 10-hour battery and I have cellular so I never have to worry about whether there's Wi-Fi if I want to upload something and I don't have to deal with the the hassle of setting up personal hotspot um it just it became much more comfortable but it was a you know it was a two three week process it was it was very much a like 
an, a dive in headfirst and I'm going to be frustrated for about a week and then I'm going to figure sh- stuff out and some things I'm going to figure out and some things are still going to be impossible with a Mac. And in the end, it was how many things can I do comfortably without the, you know, like you were saying at the beginning, without the hassle, without the feeling that you're basically trying to, you know, fit an elephant into a compact, into a compact car. Yeah. <laughs> um I always I always like the analogy of feeling like you're going uphill on a bike versus downhill. And yeah. That when you're in the flow and you have a computer that's set up the way you, you know, whatever whatever operating system. But if you feel like you're on a bicycle that's going downhill, that's when you're getting, you feel like you're. You feel great. <laughs> yeah. You feel like you're yeah. as productive as your mind. You're only limited by your own brain. And exactly. when you're going uphill, it when it feels like you're going uphill, it just feels like this sucks my the system is slowing me down. Like I'm, you know, fully caffeinated. I'm midday. I feel great. I'm on, you know, I feel like I've got good ideas that I'm writing or whatever I'm doing. But if you feel like you're frustrated by the tools, it, 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 it just, and it, it somehow brings you down the sense yeah. of going uphill. Cause you feel like I could be doing, I could be doing better. It's like when you're really sick and you have all of the great ideas in the world, but because your body is letting you down, you can't execute any of them. And you're like, but I want to do this, please. Um, Yeah. And there, and there are still definitely some tasks where I feel that way with the iPad, but I, uh, but after spending some time forcing myself to use it and getting over the initial hump, it feels a lot better. Um, 3D Touch actually was something I just wrote an article over the weekend about that, where like you were complaining a little bit about 3D Touch, and Jason. Jason Snell was complaining a lot about 3D Touch, and I'm like, I totally get where you guys are coming from because there's a lot about 3D Touch that's unfinished, and a lot of it that just doesn't click properly. But there are some features, you know, I forced myself, for instance, to use like the left side deep press to get into multitasking and um, using the keyboard as like a cursor so that you could move it rather than using the old style. And those two shortcuts alone made 3D touch. I think I called it, I was like 3D touch is a niche I can't live without because with those two features, my iPhone productivity is so much faster than it was pre iPhone success. And like, even with all of the problems with 3D touch, that's like, those two things are like, no, all of the devices have to have 3D touch. And God forbid, what if the home button disappears? Maybe 3D touches are like, initial way into that, getting us comfortable with that. But you have to use it, right? You have to force yourself to use the left side multitasking shortcut because we're, we've been trained for what, six, seven, eight years now to to press the double press the home button since iOS four to bring up the multitasking shortcut. And if you don't give it a, like if you don't force yourself, you're not going to get out of your old habits and you're not going to be able to see if the new habits are potentially faster or potentially slower. Yeah. I think it, it highlights the, it's just an inherent problem in designing systems and systems, meaning like the, the basic UI of a computer. Yep. Touchscreens on the Mac to me is a perfect example. We still don't have them, and I still I don't think we ever will. I just because it just doesn't work to have an interface where the elements are so close to each other to be They're so tiny. Fine, <laughs> and and they should be because the mouse is a very fine instrument mm-hmm. or trackpad or you know or whatever you're using for input on the Mac. It's so fine. Um, I kind of feel like 3D Touch, though, is that way to iOS, where if we had had 3D Touch right from the start in 2007, I feel it would be integrated with the system in a way that 
kind of can't be now because they can't just make things that are essential for it because only uh, the iPhone 6S and 6S Plus have it. Even yeah. the new iPads don't have it. Um, so every other iOS device needs to be, there needs to be a way to do the 3D touch stuff without it. Yeah. And I, for that, I look to live photos as a good example of something where this is, this is something that is exclusive to the 6S, the 6S Plus, the small iPad Pro, and the iPhone SE. And only two of those four devices have 3D touch. So they just said, and also they have, of course, live photos on the Apple TV and live photo support on the, on the Mac to, to look at it. And they're like, okay, well, how do we still show the like shift from still photo to live photos? And on the on the iPad and on the iPhone SE, it's just a long press. And right. I'm, I, I mean, I think you mentioned that in your in your um, sort of overview of Jason's article, where it's like it makes a lot of sense to tie 3D Touch to a long press gestures, Be, especially because if you've ever used a 3D Touch device, um, and I think about it from the home screen primarily, is trying to actually trigger the difference between a long press and a 3D touch and a light 3D touch is almost impossible. Right. Um, you try and edit your home screen and it's just like, nope, you're going to preview an app icon. Nope, you didn't do it that you didn't do it right either. Uh, so I don't under I don't understand why they didn't just jump into the idea of let's just design iOS 9 so that a long press equals 3D touch. Can I tell you one of the other minor annoyances that I have with 3D Touch? And mm-hmm. I, I love the idea of long of hard pressing the apps on the home screen and getting shortcuts. And, oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and there's some great – Apple's done some great stuff with that. And I know that a lot of third-party utility makers have some really clever stuff in there. But the one that drives me nuts is for the phone app. It's like you can't set who the people are. It's like the phone – No, it's just like three random people. <laughs> and the logic of it doesn't make any sense to me because I it, it I would – I would guess that at least half of all the calls I ever make are to my wife. Mm-hmm. And sometimes she's not listed. And it doesn't see I don't know how there could be any algorithm that would that would guess as to who I'd want in that list that wouldn't include her based on my outgoing call history. And yet sometimes she's not listed. Sometimes she is and sometimes she's not. Uh I just wish that I wish that feature would just let me pick three people. Like just say like top three people in my phone favorites and that's it. Yeah, well, it's funny because clicking my clicking my phone right now, it is the top three people in my phone favorites. But I'm also pretty sure that that's again that's random. Right. I'm. It's the same thing with messages too. Is like messages doesn't show the three yes. most recent people that you've texted, and I'm like, why? Why doesn't it just so, show the three most recent people? Wouldn't that make the most sense? Yeah, I don't How know. Is, I don't know what they're doing, but it's definitely that's not what they're doing. No, and that's. I mean, that's a factor of Apple being weak on certain algorithmic things in the first place. You talk, we did a retrospective on on iOS nine, like six months in, and one of the things that still irritates me is the whole promise of proactive was really awesome. And I was really excited about, you know, oh yeah, it'll frequently know what apps you're using at this time of day because it technically has all of that information and it's all local to your device. Uh, but Siri suggestions, rarely really helpful. On on weird, random occasions it is, uh, but more often than not, it is just a couple of apps that I may have used recently. Uh, and and let alone the the lock screen app suggestions, I feel like I've only seen that once or twice in my life since installing iOS nine. You know where it's like, oh yes, it'll show you a swipe up in the bottom left hand corner for the most recently used app you use at like nine in the morning. I I don't I've never seen that. I'm waiting for it to show me like Tweetbot, 
Go read right. your tweets because you always do this every morning. Right. <laughs> um. So uh, before we go any further, so you're you're when you say your portable is a iPad Pro, you mean the twelve point nine inch, right? I mean the twelve point nine. Yeah, I've got both sitting on my my desk right now. But when okay. I say the and I'm I'm working on the review because like you, I've been spending a lot of time using it rather than writing about it. Um, but when it comes to replacing a laptop, um, whole hog, you know, not having a MacBook in the wings, the 12.9 inch has to be the way to go for me, uh, because of split view and keyboard alone. Hmm. All right. I, th- I disagree, but I w- we'll get back to that. Yeah, in- we can. <laughs> um, and I'm going to take a moment here and thank our next sponsor. It's our good friends, longtime friends of the show, Fracture. Fracture is the company, you guys remember them, they print your photos directly onto glass. So you take your favorite photos that you've taken, you upload them to Fracture, you pick what size you want, and then they mail you a piece of glass that has your photo printed directly on it. Colors pop like you won't believe, um, and it even comes with a solid backing that's ready to mount right out of the package. All you have to do is stick the included screw in the wall and hang it, and then you're done. So there's no, you don't have to put it in a frame, it doesn't need a frame, it just is... It almost is a frame. It's just a piece of glass that goes edge to edge. So beautiful. It is so much it is so much the best way to to get analog versions of your digital photos. There's no comparison. It looks great. Everything's aligned. You can't there's no little piece of paper be you know, like putting it in a traditional frame where it's like off center and then just when you've got the frame all closed up, you shifts a little bit and you've got to open it up and start all over again. Uh, forget about it. Don't do that. If you're going to print photos, get them printed at Fracture. It's the way to go. Um, it's a wonderful gift. It's a great way to decorate your home. Uh, and they have a great, just a great team. They hand assemble and they check for quality. Everybody does it. And it's a small team down there in Gainesville, Florida that, that prints every one of these things. Um, can't recommend them highly enough. Really, really great way to get your photos printed. And if you need another reason to buy one, besides them just sponsoring the show and being a longtime friend of the show, you can save 10% off with the offer code TALKSHOW10 when you go to FractureMe.com. So go to FractureMe.com to see what they have to offer. And just remember the code TALKSHOW10, and you'll save 10% off your order from Fracture. Go get some pictures printed. All right, I like the 9.7-inch model better, but I think it's possibly related to the fact that, uh, that, like I said, I don't really do work on the iPad. I just use it for reading. And yeah. I've always liked it for reading. And I used to, I mean, this is how badly my eyes have gotten worse as I'm rocketing into my 40s. But like when the iPad mini first came out, I loved it. I was like, this is the iPad for me because I can hold it in one hand. And it's, but it's like, as I, even in the years since that's come out, which haven't been that many, it, the fact that it's just the same number of pixels as the 9.7 inch iPad shrunken down, uh, it's a lot easier for me now to use a 9.7 inch just because it's the same interface bigger. Um, oh, yeah. So if I were younger, I think I would still be a fan of the iPad mini form factor. Uh, now that I'm getting older, I like the 9.7. Um, and to me, the 12, it just isn't suitable. And I've gone back now that I have both of them as, you know, called the iPad Pro here in the house. I've gone back to it and it's. I see why other people like it. I can see why people like it, especially if they're using it on a desk. But for me, it's it's not as good a size. And I find, much like Jason Snell, who wrote a review of the smart keyboard, um, I expected to really despise the keyboard because of the size. But I've actually found myself, I'm pretty good typing on it. It's, it's about as, I mean, it's not as good as a full-size keyboard. I mean, I can't say that. No. But it's way better than I expected. 
Yeah, it's it's serviceable, um, which is a lot better than I can say for many, many, many other keyboards. And I've used Bluetooth keyboards and USB keyboards for both the iPad mini, which used to be my my go-to iPad, actually, and the 9.7-inch iPad, um, old, old original iPad and, and iPad Air and iPad 2. Um, it's interesting to me because I think there is a very big divide where the 12.9-inch the is not the device for people who want to read or people who want to, like, casually draw um, or just have an iPad. Like, I, I really think, especially with the 9.7 coming in and having the smart connector and having access to the pencil, the 9.7, I mean, it's the sweet spot for iPad size, right? It's the iPad size that they have been developing since 2010, yeah. and it feels it feels great in the hands. Like, I thought that I was going to get the 9.7 to look at it and to review it, and then I was going to return it. Uh, because I was just like, it's, you know, I've got a, I've got a big iPad. I don't need another iPad, even though it's pretty, I have it in rose gold. It's nice, but I don't need it. Um, and I think I might keep it around, uh, because it is, as you said, it is really nice for reading and it's so light in comparison, like my 12.9 inch iPad. Here's my confession about this is that basically my 12.9 inch iPad is a MacBook with a touchscreen, what I've turned it into. I have it encased in like this gigantic Logitech Create keyboard uh, <laughs> case, which turns it into like a three pound computer, which is heavier than my MacBook Air. Uh, and on that side, I'm, I feel silly because I'm like, I've just turned this incredibly, you know, fairly, still fairly light piece of technology. And I've basically shoved it in like one of the ugliest iPad cases I've ever seen in my life. Although it is bright red. So at least I've got that going for me. Uh, but overall, it's not, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not, it doesn't look like an iPad. It looks closer to a surface when you, if you'd see it from behind than it does from an iPad. And you'd only be able to tell that it's an iPad if you came back like behind me and looked closely at the way that it was designed because it has the home button. Uh, but I've basically, the the 12.9 inch does not come out of this case. I, I will occasionally take it out if I'm like showing it to somebody and they want to like feel how heavy it is. But to me, it is like, it is part of this keyboard. And that's part partially because the Logitech Create keyboard is it's it has a beautiful home row that has shortcuts that just make using iOS like a desktop. Um, where you can have, you know, it has a quick to home button and it has a search button, which will automatically close the app you're in and pull up spotlight. You can do command tab on it. Uh, so it's, it's basically a laptop. It is a laptop with, uh, with, um, with a multi-touch on it and, um, and split view and split view on the 12.9 when you're doing, when you're trying to do actual work is really nice. It's basically two portrait iPads right. side by side. And it's not, again, not the perfect implementation of multiple windows, but I actually like I, I almost like it a little bit better than the tiered window system that OS 10 has for especially for writing because it's a lot calmer. Right. You know? I look at my any of my Macs at any given time, including the one on my, my Mac I'm staring at right now. And it's there's a there's a, a sense to it. I, I'm not lost, but it's. It, it, I'm also displeased by the clutter that I yes. see. Yes, it <laughs> is. It's there's a method to my madness, and I know which apps tend to be on which sides and and stuff like that. But it doesn't look nice and neat. Whereas the iPad enforces neatness because it's you know you can only have two limitations at a time, yeah. and they're always open at at these set you know like fifty fifty or two thirds, seventy one third. thirty. Yeah, right. exactly. Um, 
and there's a certain clarity, you know, that that is very appealing to me, the fact that you cannot make it messy and that, you know, and again, I think you're right. And I, I don't think it's any surprise that one group of people who find the iPad the most appealing as a true work machine are writers is that it, you know, because the lack of clutter can help focus your mind. Mm -hmm. um, so no doubt I see the appeal of that, but it's still, I don't know. There is something there. It gets back to like my complaint about 3d touch, not being integrated because it wasn't there from the beginning. I find that the multitasking in iOS still isn't quite, it's not quite seamless because it wasn't there from the beginning. And the fact yeah. that every app doesn't support it and it's impossible to predict which apps are going to or not. And finding the apps in that right picker. I don't think I've ever used that picker, honestly. Well, I, I opened to, it once and I was just like, nope. Well, then, well, then how, how do you do multitasking if you don't use the picker? Command tab. Oh. So I, I always have my my iPad connected to that create keyboard. Right. So the, the ways that I switch is just constant command tab, command tab, command tab. And I'll open one app and then I'll split screen it and then I'll just... Command tab until I find the right, the right App apps for it to put in the other. The exactly, other exactly, and it's still you know it's not perfect because there, as you said, it's it's something that was essentially developed what last year, right? Um, and it's missing things like drag and drop, which would be crucial between one pane to the other pane, and which it just does not have, um, for sandbox reasons and probably just development reasons. Um, and there's a I made a whole laundry list of. You know, potential features that the uh, that the next generation of iOS for for iPad is currently lacking that people who are using it for professional uses desperately want. Um, but but that's you know, if you want to use the iPad as a professional machine, you basically have to attach a keyboard to it right now. Um, and you can use you know, it's it's nice. The touchscreen is nice because then you can turn it into something else. Like what I really liked about the 12 inch, 12.9 inch is that I can take it with the keyboard and I can write up a storm and I can do professional work. And then just as easily I collapse it, you know, on top of the keyboard and it's just a screen and I can use that in the pencil and very quickly like edit dust out of photos right. um, for, for like I'm more hero shots or, you know, I went on a, um, I helped some friends take some engagement photos and I was using one of the adapters. I just pulled out the SD card and I I uploaded them all onto my my iPad. And we were able to basically go through them on that 12.9 inch screen with like with a couple behind me. Immediately pick out the favorites and then send all of those to Lightroom so that I could you know properly batch and color correct them. Uh, and that took you know probably 15 minutes. Where on a on a Mac it probably like it's not it's not that the workflow would have been. It's like dramatically more difficult, but it's just it's it's taking out some of the steps um, and it's a little bit easier. You know, it's easier to view an iPad and pass it between people than it is to, like, pick up a laptop and hand it. It's just it's it's slightly, slightly different use cases. Yeah. Um, and again, it's not that one is better than the other. Like overall, I think they're both great machines, um, especially when you talk about portability. But if you're doing certain certain tasks, and especially if you're variating tasks, you know, you, you don't just use your laptop for writing. You want to edit photos or you want to draw. That's when the, you know, the flexibility of having an iPad with the keyboard that also just turns into an iPad when you need it is really something special. Hmm. Um, I... I find that the, like one of the things that slows me down the most, and there's just I, I don't know if there's if it's ever going to be good enough, is the ability to precisely select ranges of text 
Like, mm-hmm. and I don't know, maybe it's, I, 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 because I do so much of it, it's, it's, and I've done it for years. Like I'm really, really, really fast on a Mac at taking my mouse or a trackpad if I'm on, on a MacBook and selecting exactly the range of text that I want, copying, mm-hmm. command tabbing to the other app and pasting it where I want it to go. And I find that like that to me is one of those things that always feels like I'm pedaling uphill on, on an iPad. Without or, a keyboard, a it's awful. It's, yeah. yeah. With a keyboard, it's definitely better. With a keyboard, um, all of the the keyboard, you know, text selection shortcuts work. So I basically just, you know, I'll do like command control and use the arrow keys and command shift and just, you know, select everything I need that way. Um, and that and like command C, like all of the all of the shortcuts that I normally and I've pretty much moved entirely away from mouse based sel- text selection. Hmm. Once I once I figured out the right like set of keyboard commands to use. The only place where this bites me in the ass in in iOS, and it's one of the things that you mentioned it earlier, where like some apps don't support split view. Well, some apps don't support, you know, simple things like keyboard shortcuts. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm not calling out anybody here. Google um, <laughs> have uh, have basically a, a, a hate, hate affair with the iPad right now, where things like, for instance, in Google Docs, an M dash doesn't work. You try and do the keyboard command for an M dash and it just won't, it just doesn't exist. And and it's just like things like that or being able to select text just doesn't exist. How, how, I mean, how do you even break something like that? I mean, I, maybe they have like uh, a command tied to it. I remember when the first version of TextMate came out mm-hmm. and as a longtime BB Edit user, the appeal of it escaped me. But I also kept an open mind and I thought, well, I can see why people don't like BB Edit, even though I love it. And therefore, if they don't like BB Edit, maybe this is the glass of ice water in hell that they've been waiting for. Mm-hmm. But I, there were so many weird things in the first version of TextMate, including the fact that there was a menu command that was tied to just option P. Just like it was some kind of like print setup or I don't know, but some command in the app, you had to type option P. And I thought, well, Wait, how the, how in the world? Uh, instantly, as a longtime Mac user, I thought, well, how would you type the Pi character? And the yeah. answer was, now <laughs> you can't. <laughs> and and it just was that like the, the guy who made the app didn't know that you know that you that option plus a character was not for menu commands. It was really reserved for typing extended characters because yeah. he was <laughs> relatively new to the Mac. It would just didn't occur to him. Um, like we should never not be able to type an M dash. No, <laughs> and it and it makes you feel it makes you feel stupid, and then it makes you question: Is the keyboard broken? And finally, you get to the point where you're like, "Oh, Google just didn't build a good fucking app." You know? Well, Sorry, I'm you swearing because ex- I'm very angry about this. I'll give an just- example. Here's an example on the <laughs> iPad Pro of an app that I love. I would, and I, you know, there's a rant in me holding it up. I love TweetBot for iOS. I Mm -hmm. consider TweetBot for iOS to be my favorite iOS app, period. Likewise. By by Apple or or from anybody else. Um, But that's primarily based on my interaction with it on the phone. And I find that their iPad version is not, it's good. It still is. It's the iPad Twitter app that I use, but there's little things about it that I don't like as much. Um, the embeds are so big. That's my problem. Well, it's like they take up the entire screen. <laughs> my thing is that I don't know what to do with that right-hand column when you have mm-hmm. it in portrait or not portrait in landscape. landscape. Yeah. And I have it and and using the iPad in the keyboard, it has to be in landscape. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But the other little thing that they don't do, and again, you know, I'm complaining about an app that I love, um, but it doesn't, it's not hooked up to the space bar in any way. Uh, in terms of like just scroll down, scroll oh, down, so scroll you can't, down. yeah, you can't just you have to put your through. finger on the screen, which sort of defeats the the comfort of using the iPad in a laptop configuration with the with a any keyboard. And mm-hmm. you know, um, one of my complaints with the iPad Pro 12 inch or 12.9 inch back in September was that using this space bar to scroll was messed up in so many apps like safari scrolled by very strange it was like page and a quarter yeah and it would skip like two paragraphs every time you try to yeah so like and scrolling too much is way worse than scrolling too little because at least if it's scrolling too little you could you just have to hit space too many times whereas if Mm -hmm. it scrolls more than a screen you've actually missed text and it, it defeats the purpose um apple commendably has actually done a lot of work and one of my biggest things that I would sing the praises of using the iPad Pro, and that this applies to both iPad Pros at this point, but it's because it's an iOS 9.3 thing. But the space bar does what I mean in way more cases, including especially in Safari. So you open up Safari, and even if you're at a weird scaling factor because it's not like an iPad optimized thing, you hit space and it scrolls by a sensible amount. Almost, almost every time. I can't remember. You know, in the week weeks I've been using this, I I, I can only remember a handful of cases where it didn't work. Um, another thing they do that's great is, and I think it's new. Ninety nine percent sure it's new. Is that when you're using mail, the up and down arrows always go to the next and previous message. Mm-hmm. So you can do. I find myself able to like triage my inbox and just go through all of my unread emails from the day on the iPad with the keyboard way, way better than I could before iOS 9.3, simply for the fact that I can just use the up and down arrows to go between messages. Yep, you can use the delete key to get rid of them. So it's really Uh, nice. (laughs) Big, big improvement. But the fact that TweetBot doesn't really do anything with the keyboard really kind of, I'm not going to say it's useless because that's hyperbole, but if I want to do Twitter on the iPad, Pro, I I find that I need to take it off the keyboard. Yeah, I usually, I I almost never run Tweetbot full screen. I'll usually run it in like seventy thirty, where it's the thirty little bit, and then I'll have my my thumb in like the bottom right corner of wherever the the iPad is like propped right. up. So I'll just scroll really little bit that. But it's it's a it's a problem. And for me, for something like Tweetbot. I read it bottom up. Like I, I won't read from like most recent. I still am sort of a timeline completionist because I apparently hate myself. <laughs> um, so it's like I need to revert. I just need arrow keys. Like the space bar would be bad for me. Right. Uh, but but there are apps like that. There are apps where it's half finished, and and that's I think key to a lot of folks' iPad um, as a work machine complaints. And honestly, was my complaint until very recently when I when like when the pencil came out, my my perception of pro of iPad had to change because the pencil is basically what I'd been asking for since 2010 as like, this is an amazing drawing device. And even if it sucks at everything else, I'm going to carry it around because it's an amazing drawing device. So if I have to carry it around, and at this time the 12.9 inch was the only model, if I have to carry it around, well, I might, I might as well at least figure out what else I can do with it. Um, And turns out I can do quite a lot, but when I was coming to the iPad in pre- in prior versions, like even the iPad Air 2, I was so excited f- about it for about a week. And then it went into like my bookshelf of iOS devices. And then I never touched it because I just, I hadn't found anything that the iPad was really good for. <laughs> Where it's like, it's it's great for reading. Um, but because I had at the time, you know, 
I had I had switched to an an iPhone um, six plus just to try it, uh, and have since gone back to the six S. But uh, with a with a screen that big, I I was so lazy about getting off the iPhone and reading on a device that was better for me, despite the fact that the the iPad has a much a much nicer screen. Um, and is much more comfortable, honestly, in the hand to read than trying to like prop up the iPhone with your pinky because it's just small enough that you think that you can balance it like that while you read. Um, I was just I was being lazy about it. I was I was blowing off the iPad for that. And just because when I would try and do something professionally, uh, like when I try and prep an article with earlier versions of iOS and get to the point where I couldn't upload thumbnails. Like I couldn't, I couldn't upload a video or a photo because the upload file button in Safari didn't work. Right. I would just throw up my hands and be like, "Well, you know, f this. This is stupid. This is right. this is not worth my time." It's, again, since, it feels like you're using chopsticks instead of your fingers. You exactly. Know? Except exactly. It, except sometimes when it's something like you, that, you can't even get to the file upload thing from Safari. It's like like using a Lego robot to control chopsticks from across <laughs> the room. Yeah. And it's like, you know what? I'm just, it'd be easier for me to just go upstairs to my Mac. It would actually be easier to get up from where I am and to not be lazy. Or even if you're not home, like to just, it would be easier for me to go (laughs) home (laughs) and get on a Mac and do this. Yeah. And, and since then, you know, iOS 9 has a, has a file picker built in and iCloud Drive and Workflow both make it so much easier to deal with files on, on iOS than, you know, it actually it feels like a normal file system um, if when you when you set it up to your liking, which is really nice. But but I feel like so many people have had those bad experiences where they go in and they try and do something on iOS and it just does not work full stop that they've given up or they or they see something not work and they're just like, well, that's never going to get fixed. And why would I even try? I don't even like the iPad that much. So I get I get the hesitation and I and that's honestly why I'm really excited for the 9.7 inch iPad Pro. You know, as somebody I'm going to use the 12.9 at least until I get a MacBook, a new a new Mac laptop. If I get a new Mac laptop because it's it's comfortable and it mostly does what I need. Like 90% of my job I can do on an iPad Pro and I can do it in such a way that it doesn't make me feel like I'm tearing my hair out, where it's actually enjoyable um, and in some cases better than on my Mac. But for the vast majority of people, they're either not going to have the time to give that a try or they're just not going to be interested in giving that a try. And the 9.7 inch, both in cost and form factor, I think is a lot easier sell of a Here's a way to get into iPad and to mess around with iPad uh, without having to make the commitment of this is going to be your only device and you're going to carry around or you're going to carry around a three pound iPad and keyboard along with a Mac. The the iPad Pro, the baby, the baby Pro, as I've been calling it, um, with one of like Apple's smart keyboards and um, and like a back cover doesn't weigh that what it weighs like two two point three maybe if that um i've got and it you in get my the, hand right now with the, yeah with the keyboard cover on and i don't know what it weighs but it 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 if you think of it just as an ipad it feels like this is a very heavy cover yeah and and if you if i take the cover off and just hold the ipad it's like wow that cover really weighs it down but if i think of it as as a portable computer you could take around that i remember what it used to be like to take oh yeah <laughs> you know even the earlier airs you know it's like wow this is absolutely amazing in comparison, yeah, it's 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 like you're. I was holding the nine point seven inch outside because um, I was trying out the two drone display drawing outside, 
and we had a pretty gusty day and the thing almost blew out of my hands because yeah. it's just it's so light and because it's flat like that you get it the wrong way um it's a really nice you know it's a nice shape to hold it feels really great and you pair it with the pencil like the thing i'm really i'm most excited about is getting this into the hands of like kids and teenagers who are interested in drawing um who are interested in you know doing more unconventional things with a computer than you might do traditionally with a Mac. Um, there's an, there like, I've been testing drawing apps and I've been testing handwriting apps and things like that. Um, there's an app that allows you to make your, your own fonts. Oh, available. I saw your article yeah. about this. This is, this was like blew I my mind this. because I, you know, I, I used to date somebody who was a, who was a professional typographer and like built fonts. Uh, and I would watch him for like, hours and hours while he would like perfect kerning and and change drawing paths and with the pencil not only is it really easy to just sketch out like your your initial set of characters in this app but it has all of the all of the kerning features and all of the path you know adjustments that the professional version of like photographer would have um and it and you can upload it directly to the system with a profile so you can literally, you know, make make your own font and then install it immediately on iOS and use it in a project like Pages, right. which is just, it's like that kind of very specific niche thing I feel like is going to make typographers sing for joy because you can, you can start this and then you could bring it somewhere else, right? You could work, you could start a font, you have a stroke of inf- inspiration and you can start a font on your, on your iPad, whether it's a 9.7 or a 12.9 and then bring it to your Mac and work on it more. Um, it just, I, I, I see so many, so many kids. Like if I had had a device like this as a kid, like my Wacom is probably the best, the, the most comparable thing. And, and even that was so, so like light years behind what this is that it's just, it's, it's so much potential. And the 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 price and the size and the fact that it works with the pencil just I, I feel like poises the potential for for huge huge growth in that sector, assuming that people will buy into it. I'm wondering because uh, one thing about it is that if you get the whole rig, meaning let's say the the mid mid capacity one, seven forty nine, and then you want the cellular, it goes up to I think that's eight. 849? It's an extra 129. Or yeah. 160, one, uh, 869. Like so it's an extra 100, at least 100 bucks, 120 bucks. The keyboard's 150 bucks and the pencil's 100 bucks. So overall, you're looking at, even just for the 128 one, you're looking at at least like $1,100. Yeah, it's, and it's a it's pretty expensive if you want to try and outfit it. Now, there's all sorts of those things that aren't necessarily required. You don't have yeah. to get the cellular one. You don't. You could get. You know. Thankfully, the mid the the entry level is thirty two gigs, not sixteen gigs, mm-hmm. um, and and decently priced too. Right. I think if you know that you're never going to draw, you could. I think most. I I think you can skip the pencil. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think if you you know, uh, there might be some handwriting type things that you could do with it. But I think as a general rule, if you know you don't draw, then I I think it's easy to know not to get the pencil. Or if you're not planning, the other thing that I think the pencil does really well is precision editing. Mm. So if you're if you're a photographer or if you're anybody who's doing uh, any kind of film work or editing work, audio work, this is can be really really handy. It's like it's 
imagine the most precise mouse that you can. Right. It, that's really cool. But yes, if you don't, if you're not doing those things, then absolutely. Yeah, and at my, you know, uh, very small sample survey of asking my wife, you know, who is a very, she loves her iPad. Her iPad is her portable computer. She has an iPad Air One, I guess. So she's due for an up, upgrade. I mean, she uses it. Uh, I mean, just hours every day. Um, and so, you know, this is perfect for her, the 9.7. I was like, do you think, do you want the keyboard? And she's like, no way. Because she's still, you know, she'll peck out text messages on the on-screen keyboard, but she doesn't want a heavier cover. She wants mm-hmm. the light cover. Um, and she still uses, she'll use her Mac for, if she really has like a long email to write, she goes to her Mac. Sure. Um, and do you want the pencil? And she's like, what would I use it for? And I was like, I don't know. She goes like, no, I don't want a pencil. <laughs> so that was it. So it's, you know, I think, and it, but I like that it's a, just a sensible, like, do you get or not get that you don't need to spend the extra 250 bucks on a keyboard and a pencil if you're not going to use them? And the answer is yes. Um, but still, that's a pretty, you know, it's not like you're saving money by getting an iPad Pro instead of a, a MacBook. I mean, you're, no. maybe compared to a MacBook Pro, but, you know, you're still talking about a $1,000, $1,000 plus setup, um, which in the grand scheme of the industry is not that cheap. No, it's not. Um, it just depends on what you're using it for, right? Because if it if you don't if you don't have the intention of ever using the pencil um i feel like for 99% of people a mac's probably going to be better but if you need touchscreen accessibility or if you have any desire to work with the pencil um the ipad instantly becomes a really really exciting piece of technology especially go ahead well i want to tell you my favorite before i forget i want to i want to get this out there this is my favorite ipad pencil hack <laughs> is take the cap and put it either throw it away or just put it somewhere there you're never going to use it again and don't ever use the cap <laughs> and instead use the little lightning adapter as the cap and i keep the little lightning adapter on the pencil <laughs> at all times and that means that you can charge the pencil at any time either way you can either ch- charge it as a male or as a female at any time that's and fun <laughs> it, and, and i don't understand why it wasn't like this why why they're not encouraging that like the cap doesn't do any purpose other than to cover the the protect the lightning port yeah right and instead they give you the little they give you this little adapter that you can use either way that's it that's a good hack i like that um I, you know although to be honest i have never charged my pencil with anything but the ipad in that wa- like wacky configuration right just never uh because it it charges so fast with the ipad that I never even think like if I bring my pencil somewhere and it's like 5% battery, literally five minutes gets you 20, 25% charge, which is kind of crazy to me. Where but you can charge like, it the other way. And it's, if you have an iPhone charger oh, yeah. and it charges, but then, but then you faster. have to find the wall. Right? right. And it's like the, the beauty of the iPad setup to me is that as long as my iPad's charged, when I leave the house, I don't have to bring connectors. Do you and use I don't the even cap? have to worry about it. Or do you I, just keep the, keep the, lightning port exposed i have the cap on um the someone on twitter and i can't remember who it is now gave me the amazing tip where the cap is magnetic so it'll grab on to the uh to the mm. smart magnets the smart cover magnets on your ipad so when you take the cap off to plug in your uh to plug in the pencil to the ipad you just drop it on the ipad and it's actually really it's a fun game you can just drop it anywhere on the ipad and it'll go and grab on <laughs> one of the smart cover magnets <laughs> So that's my that's my and my my other iPad good iPad pencil hack is 
buy a $2 micron pen and then steal the clip off the micron pen and then you can just slide it over the oh. the silver pencil so I have a, a nice little clip there. Oh. Keeps it from rolling too. Mm-hmm. $2 micron. All right, I'm going to write this down. <laughs> so that's the micron pens have like a clip that is the right sort of has Exactly a, the right size, yep. Right. What would you call that? The right uh, circumference? The right diameter, yeah. Yeah, diameter circumference. One of those Six things. of one. Well, six of one, half of those. <laughs> yeah, <numbers>. exactly. <laughs> six of one pi times the other. <laughs> yeah, option. Option, option P. P. <laughs> there we go. Pi, a, we have a theme for this episode. Yep. Um, uh, so the, uh, the what else is there to talk about with the, the iPad Pro? There's the display. This is the thing. And I know Jason and I talked about it last week, and everybody's uh, – you can't not talk about it. That no. Th- there is a weird, like, off-cycle pace to the iPad Pros where even though this one is six months after the 12.9-inch one, it has some – technology that is clearly like an entire generation ahead specifically with the display with the fact that it has the true tone feature for changing the color uh temperature of what's on screen based on the ambient color of wherever it is that you're using it and this new um i think i'm gonna misspeak but more or less that it has a high it displays a higher gamut significantly higher gamut of colors what is it pc3 it's the same it's the same color gamut as on the 4k and 5k imax which is pretty neat which is extremely neat and i think all of this is going to come everywhere eventually. Oh, like yeah. Within, I'm going to say, like, three years, two, three years, every Mac, every iPhone, every iPad will have the high gamut and the true tone. Because um, it's just, it, both of them are just remarkable. It's, it's mind-blowing. Right. Um, you know, see, I don't know if you ever get this, John, because you run your own site and you're not really beholden to, to publishing schedules. But I'll occasionally do this thing on iMore where I'll write a really good story and I get so excited about, like, it was originally planned for, say, after the weekend or it's planned to, like, go live on Wednesday. And I'm just like, I'm just going to publish it now. I don't care if it's 11 p.m. at night. I'm just going to just gonna go with it now. And that's kind of what I feel like True Tone is on this on this iPad is, is Apple being mm. like, we developed it and it's ready and we could wait until the iPhone 7. But you know what? This will allow us to, uh, to get some bugs ironed out while right. we figure out how it works on the bigger screen. And then we can bring it to the smaller screen and then we can bring it to the Mac and it'll be great. Let's just launch it now guys right like it, even, just, it feels even, exciting right even if the fact is that it ma- it really makes for a very ultimately i think that the two ipad pros will be it'll be like choosing between macbook pros where really mm-hmm. the main thing is the duh which size do you want yeah it's you know? the screen and maybe maybe a little bit more ram and right. uh, you know like a in the ways that under fi- the hood stuff <laughs> right in the ways that like a 15 inch macbook pro outperforms the 13 inch ones by a, sm- a small degree but like what you would you know what just seems intuitively well yeah of course it's a little a little bit better technically mm-hmm. um but it's not like that at all with the with the two iPad Pros today it's the the display quality <laughs> yeah the display quality of the 9.7 one inch is just vastly different i mean that the- true tone is incredible it just uh, the first time um when i was setting up the ipad there's the there's the button where it's like would you like to use true tone display and it's just a, a little blue button that's like with true tone and then you press it and yeah. it turns on without <laughs> true tone and i made a gif of it because i'm just like this is so star like i didn't even realize the screen was slightly orange right. and normally i'm very attuned to that stuff like i couldn't use flux for years on my mac because it would just drive me crazy but this is much subtler than flux and even much subtler than night shift to a certain extent it's just oh way it's different. very good it's I th- very good <laughs> i actually think that it is confusing that it's shipped alongside uh, 
Night, Night Shift, Shift as an OS feature because to me, they are, no pun intended, like night and day, where <laughs> Night Shift is a very dramatic effect. And I, I've made, I, I've definitely made more people who read Daring Fireball angry with my comments on Night Shift than anything <laughs> I've done recently. Because I'm of the, uh, I, I've linked to numerous of the things that, have, like Glenn Fleischman had a good piece that, the science that says that you get a better night's sleep because of this really is very, very questionable. Whether people find it more comfortable for their eyes, though, that that's completely subjective. And I mm-hmm. have friends who say, "Oh man, I swear by this. I love that. I love. I've been using Flux for years on my Macs at night, and I don't know how people work at night. You know, have, you know, I work hours and hours every night, work late into the night, and it's all thanks to Flux that my eyes don't get tired. I believe that, but that doesn't mean you're getting a better night's sleep. It just means no. that your eyes are less tired. But, but if your eyes are less tired, like certain other things may right. improve. Mm, um, but it's it's correlation. Me personally, I can't stand it. I find that the color shifting is just gross. But it's also very subjective. I just it, it I just find it very gross. But well, it's, I think whether or not you like the feature or not, this is what I'm trying to get at. Whether you like that feature or not, call it night shift in iOS or flux on your Mac. It is without question. Very, very noticeable. Very. Whether you like it or not, I just don't see how anybody could deny that it is a dramatic difference. Um, True Tone, on the other hand, while it sounds like it's doing the same thing, it sounds like it's a similar idea where it's taking sensors and color temperature and shifting the color temperature. In practice, it is invisible. And I think that you kind of hit the nail on the head in terms of the sensors because Night shift, to my knowledge, is almost entirely it's geolocation and software based. Yeah. And the actual like the range of the tone, that's entirely changeable and adjustable in settings. So it really depends. It's user dependent where you have to go in and shift like how blue or how warm do you want to see your display at night? Whereas True Tone takes all of that away. It's like, do you want it on or do you want it off? And then just. I keep, <laughs> I keep finding it with True Tone as I use this iPad Pro more and more. I keep thinking like, wait, I have to- I keep thinking myself, you have totally overblown this feature because there's n- it's not doing anything right now. Here it is. It's, you know, 930 at night. So it should be, you know, kicking in because the sun's down and I'm using incandescent lighting. And I can just tell looking at this screen that this isn't doing anything at all. And then I take any one of my other devices and look at it side by Put side. It next to it, yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, that is... Uh, that is so disgusting. <laughs> it's crazy. And right. you're like, how was I staring at this blue piece of crap? <laughs> but the more that I use it, the more I convince myself that it's not doing anything at all until I look at any of my other devices that don't have it side by side. And mm-hmm. I see just how weirdly off all the white, you know, all the colors are. It's, it is a, a wonderful feature. Oh, it makes me it makes me so mad that they hadn't perfected it in November because that would have looked so pretty on the 12.9. But I, yeah, it's... It's the problem with releasing different sizes at different times. They could have held the entire iPad Pro launch until the spring. Um, But because of – this is probably where the rumor cycle bites them and other things. They wanted to launch the iPad Pro in November, so they launched what they had. And the smaller iPad Pro, as a result, gets some of the the niceties. It gets the PC3. It gets the True Tone display. The camera features, I honestly think, is just a – yeah, we can fit it in a 9.7 inch and there are people who are going to use their iPad Pros as cameras, whether we tell them to or not. And also on the prof- the, the professional film side, there are cinematographers who say, yeah, the 9.7 inch screen is really nice for location scouting. So it would be nice to have a 4K camera. So I, I get that. I'm not too heartbroken about not having a 4K 
camera on my 12.9 inch uh, iPad, but God, do I wish I had True Tone. It does seem, but it is a weird, it's just, again, it's like you said, I think you said it perfectly. It's, it's not like people who have the 12.9 inch iPad pro are dying to have the better camera, but it does seem weird now side by side that the cheaper, smaller one has a better camera than the more expensive, bigger one. Yeah. It just I mean, seems weird. It is. It is. And I, it's probably component cheapness, like component parts falling after right. the new year or something else like that. Or they just didn't, you know, they couldn't fit it or the camera bump. I don't know. My guess, here's it's, my guess, is yeah. that it was either they couldn't get them in September or they just didn't want to take the chance because the, it's the same camera system as the iPhone 6S and 6S mm-hmm. Plus and that to make sure that they wouldn't hamper production of iPhones. They didn't want to put it in. They just yeah. didn't want to either. They either they knew they couldn't get enough of them or that they just didn't want to take a chance of putting a hiccup in the iPhone supply chain. I believe that, especially pre Christmas. Right. That's just, that's a, it's a dangerous thing to have. Right. Cause that first quarter is just, uh, it's crazy how high stakes it is for Apple because it's both the launch quarter and the holiday quarter. Oh Yeah. They, I mean, they crammed so much stuff in this past year, right. and I thought, I thought last year was a little bit crazy, but but this year they really just like, all right, we got the phones, we got the iPad, we've got the Apple TV, we're just gonna go, we're gonna go, <laughs> we're gonna make it happen. The other thing, um, the nine point seven does not have, and this is the the thing that I think ultimately will keep me from switching to it, is the USB C. Quick charge is really nice. Being able to use USB 3.0, being able to take advantage of that quick charge because the 12 watt adapter, like, I mean, granted, I rarely charge my iPad except overnight. So I don't get a a huge amount of use out of it. But on the days when I'm like, I have cut audio, uh, caught audio and cut video on my iPad before. And in those days, I will bring like my, the new USB-C charger that I just got, which was Strangely, shipped alongside the 9.7-inch iPad, but the 9.7-inch iPad not uh, not able to use it. And that thing, that thing actually charges like a laptop charger. Like it makes it makes the iPad actually have a have a charger that is functional. Whereas before, like the 12-watt adapter, trying to plug that into the 12.9-inch iPad Pro, it's like okay. Uh, if you're plugging this in while you're working on it, you're going to see your battery drop 2%. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't do anything. Right. It's it's, it's, it's fake. <laughs> you really kind of have to just sit there and wait. Yeah. No, and I find that the iPads, I do find one of the advantages of it. And I I don't think that the battery life estimates really, the 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 published tech specs for the battery life of these devices, to me, it it's misleading. Because I don't, I get way more battery life out of an iPad than the, specs would show compared to a macbook Mm -hmm. and i think it's simply the i think it's simply the basis that i actually i tend to run a stupid number of safari tabs at a time and i have (laughs) a stupid number of apps that are open at a time and so there's just more going on as like a baseline cpu level on any of my macbooks compared to the ipad which enforces this sort of mostly one app at a time thing and you know like safari you can have a bunch of tabs open but only the frontmost tab actually is running anything um, I just get, practically speaking, uh, if I start the day with a full charge, I can't use the iPad enough to really run it down. I just can't. There's nothing I can seem to do. And so I don't, I, I sometimes I, I wake up and if I'm, it's like, Hey, let's use this iPad pro. Cause I want, still want to write this review. And I realize I haven't even charged it in two or three days and the battery and it's still functional, right? And the battery is kind of low because I just haven't plugged it in in days. 
Yeah. Which never, ever happens with, with other devices because you just are vaguely aware that, you know, if you're doing a lot of work on a MacBook, you need to charge it at some point. And same thing with an iPhone throughout the day. Like you just don't accidentally go three or four days without charging your phone. No, because it just – it wouldn't work or your Apple Watch. But with the iPad, it's actually – it's possible. It's very possible. Yeah, it, especially if you don't use it 100% of the – like the iPad Pro, if you're using it like you'd use a laptop, it's pretty normal to kill it or kill like 75% right. of the battery on a on a full day as work. But if you're just using it, you know, like you do, where you're using the iPad for reading and maybe a little bit of writing and you're going on the go, you can you can get like three or four days out of charge of that thing. Yeah. It's crazy. But uh, it is true, though, that the, the USB, the super USB-C charging on the iPad, the big iPad Pro, is is a tremendous feature. And once you've had it, it's it's really it's one of the, it's another one of those things where once you've had it on one device, it's really hard to go back to any of your other devices and accept the fact that it takes seemingly forever to charge them. Yeah, yeah, and and because uh, I do I do like a lot of the nine point seven inch. Uh, iPads like I, the True Tone is so beautiful, and I love. By the way, I love that it turns off whenever you go into a photo editing program. Yeah. Um. So it automatically it automatically understands that, which is pretty great. Um. But also, I used an 11 inch MacBook Air for so long that I'm like, 9.7 inches isn't really that much smaller. I could totally do work. And after two weeks on this, I'm just like, I just like the the 12.9 inch screen so much better for like physical, like the, right. the multitasking that it just doesn't, the two iPad mini apps side by side just doesn't work for me on the nine seven. No, I agree. Well, I don't, it doesn't work as well because it doesn't feel as much the way that on the 12.9, it feels like two full, they're not quite full size, but they feel like two full size iPad apps yeah. side by side. And on the, the smaller iPad, you don't get that. Small iPad is, is bicycling a pill if you're trying to multitask. Anyway, Long story short, I think it's a tremendous a, a device, and I think people's anger at it is misplaced. And I think it's kind of fascinating how true it has stayed to the original iPad idea from 2010. Yeah, yeah, and uh, sometimes to its uh, to its dismay, I'm I'm really annoyed that that stupid FaceTime camera is still in portrait orientation, especially given the iPad Pro moniker, where you're kind of you know, you're pitching it on the idea that you're probably going to use it in a keyboard case for a certain amount of time. So if you ever use FaceTime or Skype, your video is often weird to the side. It's like one of my such a little pet peeve about the hardware, but it, it's so irritating. <laughs> yeah, it's, I don't see what they, how they that's a tough design problem, though, because other than putting a second FaceTime camera in at the other spot, I, I don't know what else they could do. Yeah. Yeah, it's I mean it's it's definitely it's difficult if you're assuming that people are going to want to use it in portrait. Um and with the 97 I I get that a little bit more because the 97 is comfortable to use in portrait. But the 129 is is so gargantuan in portrait that it just feels wrong to use it that way. Hmm. Like it just doesn't it's not comfortable in any way shape or form. And you, I I don't know. But yeah, but you're absolutely right. It's like, do you put in two cameras and then have extra space there? Do you kill the portrait orientation FaceTime camera and then make people who hold the 9.7 in portrait have an issue? 
it goes but back it, again. Yeah. It's another thing that goes back to the original usability. Well, the original, the original iPad. iPad. Yeah. The original iPad had in prototypes had two thirty pin connectors. One for that's right. Plat one for landscape and one for portrait, and it was decided so late in the game to get rid of it that the the coordinate system of the iP what was then called iPad OS was based on landscape as the default orientation even though the they ended up shipping it where the 30 pin connector was on the bottom because remember mm-hmm. there were and, and again like in coming full circle the original iPad had a hardware keyboard accessory it was just instead of being like a cover it was actually like a little hardware yeah the iPad dock yeah and but you had to you know the only way to mount it was to to put it in portrait which was a little bit weird because you know I, I you know as evidenced by what they've ended up coming back to with the smart keyboard uh when you do have a keyboard attached it makes more sense to be in landscape yeah overall yeah. no it, it it just feels more natural and yeah, especially if you're multitasking cuz multitasking portrait just doesn't make sense right but it's just a funny thing that they've that they've come back to um but in the same way, you can see why, in theory, you might want to have smart connectors on the bottom and the side. But I can see why Apple it didn't do that. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's take a break before we, we move on to new topics. Unless there's anything else you want to talk about with iPad Pro. No, I, uh, I think, I think, I've, I think I've gotten through most of it. <laughs> I, right. I encourage everybody to try pencils if they haven't already. Because I, I do think it's really fun, even if you don't think you're an artist or don't think you're going to draw. Uh, well, not the worst thing you could blow 99 bucks on. No, exactly. They're far, far less useful things. Uh, let me take a break here and thank our next sponsor. It's our good friends at Casper. Casper is an online retailer of premium mattresses that they sell for a fraction of the price of their, their mainstream competitors. The mattress industry is notorious for forcing consumers into paying notoriously high markups and from having incredibly confusing product arrays where if you go in to buy you know, Brand X at this store and then you go to another store to try to compare the exact same mattresses from the same company, they all have different product names even though they're sort of the same mattress, but that's just to keep you confused and make it really hard to do comparison shopping. Uh, and they ask you to make all these decisions that you don't know what, what the difference is. Casper makes this so easy. They have one mattress style. It's uh, a, a combination of two technologies, latex foam and memory foam. They just It's just right. You don't have to choose whether you want this kind of foam or that kind of foam. Just trust Casper that they've made the right kind of foam to make a good mattress. Uh, big name, name brand mattresses often cost well over 1500 bucks. Casper mattresses cost between 500 for a twin size mattress, 600 for a twin XL, 750 for a full size, 850 for queen, and just 950 bucks for a king size mattress. High quality. They ship them to you like vacuum sealed into these remarkably small, not magically small, but surprisingly small for like a queen or a king size mattress. Um, I don't know what the smaller ones are like, but probably even remarkably smaller. You put it in a room you want, you open the box, they have instructions on the box, do it this way, you open it up, and it just like magically grows into a full-size mattress. Um, it's completely risk-free. This is the thing. You think, well, how am I going to buy a mattress for a 1000 bucks and not even try it? Here's the deal. They have free delivery and returns, no questions asked, for 100 days. It's that simple. So pick the size you want, Get it shipped to you if you're in, if you need a new mattress. Um, try it out. Try it for three months, and if you don't like it, 
just go back to the casper.com website and say you want to send it back and they'll take care of it and they'll have a, somebody come and take it out of your house and it, no questions asked and you get your money back. That's how easy it is. Uh, their mattresses are made in America and um, you can find out more and get 50 bucks toward any mattress purchase by using this code. Go to casper.com slash the talk show. And just remember that code, the talk show, when you check out, and you'll save 50 bucks on their already great prices at uh, casper.com. Uh, so, what else is going on this week? What else we got? Did you try the iPhone SE? Um, I did. I, I don't have one, but I, I've, I've picked it up. I have put it in my hand, I've put it in my pocket, and I think I'm stuck with the 4.7 inch. It's, it's, it's nice in a lot of ways. Um, and I I do really like the four inch screen, but I I my my downgrade was going from the six S plus to the six S, and I don't think I could go from the six S plus all the way to the iPhone SE. So since I published my review, I've noticed one a new thing, and I didn't notice mm. it beforehand because um, the I think it's just the nature of the weather when I was writing my SE review. But it's that in outside on a sunny day, the extra contrast of the newer displays is noticeable. Really? There, I was out the other day. I'm still using the SE as my main phone. And it wasn't super sunny, but it was like a nice a nice April day in mm-hmm. Philadelphia. And I realized I couldn't read the phone. And I was like, wow, that's weird because I know that if I had my 6S, I could read it. And I yeah. had to get in the shade or something like that. So I think the extra contrast, um, it's it's harder to notice I, to me indoors or, or not in the bright sunshine. But in sunshine, it, it makes a difference. Yeah, I can I can definitely see that. And given given how often I strangely use my phone in sunshine, despite not being somebody who goes outside a lot, uh, yeah, I don't know. I uh, our our newest uh, our newest employee at iMore, Lori Gill, just got. She's been waiting two years for them to upgrade the four inch model, and she just got an SE, and she loves it. She's like can't stop singing its praises. Yeah, I hope that you know. I hope they keep the size along. Around. I hope so. I don't. I really, really. I'm. You know, and I know I wrote about it and talked about it recently. I really am convinced that they're not going to have a four-inch phone this September. But you know, I just hope they keep it up to date enough that it seems relevant for people who prefer it. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even mind if they kept it on a March schedule, right? As a like, right. I mean, thirty million people is still a lot, quite a lot of buyers, and if thirty million people continue to buy this as kind of their. Again, they're they're pseudo low cost iPhone where it's not quite an an iPhone you know six six C but it's it's an option for people who want a slightly cheaper iPhone that has maybe like six months ago internals but also the the four inch form factor a lot of a lot of really good stuff on the camera like it it is a really the fact that they have all of the camera features well most of the camera features plugged into the four inch uh screen like that's it's a really nice device if you want something small and portable to run around and take photos with i find it i really do find it using it as a camera and it's one of the things i knew this but going back it's like the same way that like whenever you get a faster iphone you know that it's faster but sometimes the best way to actually feel how much faster it is is give it a couple of weeks and then go back to your older phone Mm -hmm. and and the going to the slower one actually shows you how much faster the new one is than using the faster one because you get used to the fastness of the fast one and to me the grippability of the of the device especially when used as a camera just i don't know just the way i tend to hold the phone when i'm taking pictures it feels so much more secure in my hands than the 
the round-sided success uh, form factor. I really hope that someone in Apple's design team, maybe Johnny, but some either someone in his team, I, I don't know, takes a look at how many people are praising the fact that they're going, they went back to the 5S form factor and really takes a good hard look about what the iPhone 7 shape is going to look like. Because I, like, I have not used any of the six 6S series phones without a case. I just can't, I can't do it because I've shattered three of them. Right. Like it just does not fit. Uh, like it's, it's a beautiful device. Like I have the 6S in rose gold right now and it's, I wish I could use it without a case, but it, it just does not fit. Like it'll slide out of my hand. I would, want to, hmm. I would love to know, cause you know, Apple knows this. Oh yeah. T- is exactly <laughs> what percentage of these devices have been dropped or at least have been dropped such that they require uh, a, a screen cer- repair, right? Or, or even just brought in. Maybe you know, maybe it's like a minor crack or scratch or something. And then when the person's told what it costs, they choose not to do it. But at least registers as a this person dropped their phone. Yeah. I, I cannot help but think that the number of people who've dropped their success and success plus is greater. And maybe part of that is just because it's bigger. But I can't help but think that part of it is because of the round sides. Oh, yeah. The super cynic in me is like Apple wanted to sell more Apple Care Plus. And they're like, all right, let's just go to this uh, this design factor because it's got to be it's got to be in like 20, 30 percent. Right. I mean, maybe not people who actually get it repaired, but, I, I, you know, I'm I'm pretty careful with my phones. I don't, you know, fling them across the room and I generally try and, you know, keep them free of scratches because I got to take pictures of them. But I'm careful and I dropped my phone, you know, probably three feet. And had it shatter into a million pieces. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm really curious. My track record is that I've never once bought. I haven't bought Apple Care for any, any device <laughs> since my original, my first Mac I ever bought in 1991. Wow. I have I just don't buy Apple Care. And at this point, I, I mean, I've saved so much money by not buying Apple Care for anything that, you know, I, I could, I could buy like a, uh, even like a brand new MacBook Pro. And have it go completely dead as soon as the day after the the uh, you know the the one year warranty goes up and still be ahead because of all the money I haven't spent on Apple Care over the years. <laughs> so I'm just not a believer in it because I take good. I try to be careful. Maybe I've just had good luck with not getting lemons. Um, and with iPhones, I I've had a couple of drops over the years. And I remember one time with my original iPhone, I had a drop where it was gonna it was gonna hit like a cement floor, and I shot my right foot out and kind of I didn't quite catch it with my foot, but it like almost caught it with my foot such that it then only dropped about like four inches onto the sidewalk, and it was like completely unscathed. And I was like, wow, that was. Very lucky. (laughs) It was very. It was a lot more lucky than coordinated with my level of coordination. It was pretty good. So I had no no screen breakages. One time with the original phone, almost it seemed like I was destined to, but it didn't. So uh, I've had the iPhone, the iPhone three G, three GS, the four, the four S, the five, the five S, and up until that point, had never once broken the screen. The worst I'd ever gotten was everyone always seemed to develop a scratch on the screen at some point. And I never once did I ever remember like when that happened. It would just be like one day in certain lighting, I would notice like a very fine scratch and then mm-hmm. I would be very sad. Um, but certainly I've ne- I never once had a scratch that I would even consider going in and paying, you know, uh, whatever the prices were to get a new screen. Yeah. Um, and then when I had the iPhone 6, 
within like the first three months of owning it, I had two times where I dropped it and the screen cracked. Yep. It's just it, those corners are a really hard to grip and b prone to breaking because of that slightly racked glass. It just doesn't. It's it's, it's beautiful in a beautiful in a conference room, beautiful in a sealed factory. Not so great when there's hardwood and concrete wherever you go. You know, and so part of it might just be luck, but it just seemed to me like having it happen twice. And then, you know, now that was a year ago and then i've been using for the most part since then the same size phone either that that iphone 6 or you know in the last six months my success mm-hmm. and haven't dropped that um but i think i have yeah. to be more I'm, i feel like i have to, it's because i'm more conscious of how i'm conscientious maybe is the better word of how i'm holding the phone yeah after two screen breaks you kind of you have to adjust your uh your usability. Right. And the one time I did it, it was, I was, I really was, I was framing a photograph and it just slipped. I don't even know how it slipped out of my hands. It just slipped right out of my hands like a bar of soap and just mm-hmm. fell straight down onto a carpeted floor. And, and uh, it was like in a store. And I thought, oh, that's fine. It's a carpeted floor. Picked it up. Nope. It totally shattered. <sighs> that's, that's the worst. But I couldn't believe it that it wasn't like I butterfingered it. It wasn't like I butterfingered it taking out of my pocket or something or while putting no, it back in. No, you were holding it. I was holding it and framing a photograph. And as I tried to move my thumb to take the thing, it just went, shoop. <laughs> <laughs> Never, ever happened with any previous iPhone. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Uh, yeah, so I am I am pro uh, different form factor. As pretty as this is, I, w- I would really like to not wrap my phone in a giant case. Oh, you know what? I've been using the, I've been using the Apple battery case on the 6S because I... I was a little worried going back from my 6S Plus that uh, the, the lack of battery life was going to kill me. Uh, and, and I actually really, aside from the fact that it's white, I hate the fact that the battery case is white. Uh, but I, I actually kind of like this. This feels really good in the hand, and I'm kind of shocked by that. Yeah, it gives you, I'm telling you, every, and I, I said it, and everybody, you know, and I think Marco said it on his podcast recently, the, the way that you can rest your pinkies on the back of the hump. Oh, it's, it's so nice. It's very, very nice. It's actually, it's a very strange looking thing, but in hand, it actually feels very nice. Yeah. And honestly, you know, you don't really see the hump because the hump is usually in your hand. You know, you're not, you're not usually laying it out for people to enjoy the fact that you have a little credit card sized battery right. attached to the back of your case. It's actually an interesting contrast with our d- earlier discussion of the Apple TV remote which mm-hmm. is designed seemingly only to appeal visually and and in hand has a lot of problems to to <laughs> that we can go on at length again about <laughs> whereas the apple battery case uh, absolutely positively looks a little funny but i think is designed very practically uh to be both useful and uh pretty pleasant to hold yeah, fits wonderfully in the hand and has a lot of design perks that I, you know, that I've used battery cases on and off for covering shows and going to Disneyland and various places for for years. And this is by far the easiest battery case I've ever had to use, mostly because I, I never have to take it out of the case. And uh, even if I do, it's it's pretty easy with the with the slip out. So I know you, you probably talked about this like six months ago when it came out in the first place. But as somebody who's only been using it for a couple of weeks, I'm I'm really kind of thrilled about it. Yeah, I'm curious whether how well it's selling because will they keep doing them? Yeah. And I feel like if they do, I feel like the schedule will stay the same where 
if they come out with new iPhones in September, they're not going to come out with the battery case until like November because mm-hmm. they don't want the PR of Apple shipping a phone that needs a battery case. It needs the, yeah, it needs the case. And right. I wouldn't say for the average user, I don't think the iPhone does need a battery case. It's just, you know, for people like you and me. But it looks who, bad, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and also R and D and just you know spacing all of that out. But yeah, you don't you don't want the negative press associated with that. Um, I hope if they do release another battery case, they also consider doing colors besides just stark white and I don't even yeah. know if it's space gray or. Well, I don't know like, what they call it, but yeah, exactly. Whatever, whatever slate gray, because you have this beautiful rose gold iPhone, and I would love to actually put it in a case that reflects its internal personality. Right now, it just looks like it's in a I don't know a crazy ward. I feel like it's wearing a straight jacket right now. <laughs> I think it is a, sort of a very stormtrooper-y look. Yeah, uh, yeah, I see that actually very Which much. Isn't necessarily what everybody <laughs> wants on there. No, phone. exactly. It's like now, now I wish I had a space gray case because then I could at least call the phone Finn, and it, I would be amused to myself. Yeah. But <laughs> all right, let me take one last break, and then we'll go with the stormtrooper theme and talk about uh, the Star Wars uh, uh, Rogue One trailer. Um, our last sponsor is a brand new uh, sponsor. I've never heard of them before. They're called Squarespace. And uh, Squarespace will let you build your own website and host it. You just go to squarespace.com and uh, everything you know you, you get after that uh, starts at that place. What do you do? You go there, you get sites that look professionally designed, regardless of your skill level. They have all sorts of templates to start from, no coding required. You need a store, they have stores to choose from, different types of stores. Um, If you want to start a blog or like a podcast, you could do that. And you can create a site that is just a blog or a podcast or both. Uh, and they make it easy to use. They have, you know, even have a little audio, custom audio player for embedding the audio of a podcast. Uh, do you need a domain name? Yeah, you could do that right there from Squarespace. You don't have to go somewhere else. You can go right there. So you can get a free trial today at squarespace.com. Use the offer code when you pay Gruber, my last name, G-R-U-B-E-R, and you will save 10% off your first purchase. Uh, so this is it. This is the easiest way to do it. If there, if you've ever built a website before, uh, there's all sorts of ways you could do it. All you know, starting from a just like a, a regular, just plain old web host, and just code the whole thing by hand. I implore you, if you haven't looked at Squarespace recently and you have an idea or a need for a new website, go try it at Squarespace first. Just give yourself an hour and see how far you can get at Squarespace. Just prototyping it with a free trial, and I, th- I think in like ninety percent of cases, you won't even need to go and build it anywhere else. It'll just be right there. You just keep going and just use Squarespace because it is that much easier to to get off the ground. And the amount of customization that you can do uh, is just almost limitless. It's really, really great. It's a great way to build a website of almost any kind. So go to squarespace.com and remember that offer code, my last name, Gruber, and you will save 10% off your first purchase. All right, so here at Serenity, I'm going to complain because you okay. guys did... <laughs> Who was on this podcast? You guys did like a 90-minute podcast oh about a 90-second movie trailer. <laughs> That's not even the first one we've done. It was uh, it was me, Syracuse, Dan Morin, and, and Jason. <laughs> That's ridiculous. I know. We did the same thing for Force Awakens. I think the Force Awakens was like 60-second teaser, and we did at least 90 minutes on it. All right. I'm, I have kept my mouth shut on Twitter about this, but I'm going to come out now. I did not like the trailer for Rogue One. 
Really? Okay, was, so why why did you not like the trailer? I'm curious. Uh, I thought that it was... It felt like what my concern ever since they've announced these Star Wars stories, and for anybody who's not paying close attention, that just is this is not the next movie in the the new trilogy after The Force Awakens. It's a standalone movie. It even takes place in a different era. It takes place before, um, like between the two older trilogies. So it's like, what is it, like five years before Star Wars A New Hope? It's like when the first Death Star is being built. Roughly. It's some yeah. It's sometime. Pablo Hidalgo, who's the story supervisor at Lucasfilm, was like, "It is sometime in the thirty years between the end of Episode Three and the start of Episode Four. And I'm like, "Great, thanks. That's that's really helpful." Uh, I I just felt like the trailer felt like what I was worried that it would be, which is like a, a lesser, purposefully lesser Star Wars movie. That it just didn't feel like it had any kind of grand or or as much. There's one shot of the Death Star that to me had some grandeur to it, but for the most part, it looked more like a generic action sci-fi movie than a Star Wars movie. And I felt like it was cut way too quick, like cut, 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 cut. You know, one second shot, one second shot, one second shot, cut, 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 frenetic, and then it's over. Frenetic is the right is the right verb for this is that it does it does feel very much much more energetic than what you think of as traditional Star Wars trailers. Like you think about even the Force Awakens trailer or any of the original trailers is the the long sweeping shot of Tatooine, right? Or the 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 long shot of of, you know, Rey and her garb or um, or I thought like in the Force Awakens trailer, which I thought was a great trailer. I the one the shot that to me made the trailer was the shot on Jakku, uh, it's a real long shot of a uh, star destroyer, star destroyer that's <laughs> oh. crashed into the planet for and seemingly for a long time. And I had that as my background on my computer for a long time because it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful shot. shot. It's yeah, a beautiful shot. But it also to me has like this very Star Warsiness to it, which is um, it, there's clear it clearly a lot of backstory that you don't know there's some you know because there's obviously there's a massive star destroyer crashed on a desert planet is this something tat- happened yeah right are we on tatooine again are we somewhere else you don't know but there's obviously something happened whereas there's nothing in the rogue one trailer that makes me wonder wow what happened there that there's some kind of crazy backstory here yeah so i have to ask you have you watched star wars rebels the cg cartoon yes in fact my uh jonas and i just finished uh, catching up last the finale. Night. Oh my gosh! All right, well we'll save that. I feel like that's way too spoilery. But um, well, but is there something you want to say that's not spoilery about? Well, it? yes. So well, sort of pseudo spoilery. Um, just more that I when I watched the Rogue One trailer, my first impression was a lot of these scenes seem like exact real world. Like, let me let me take all of the shots and staging that I've done with Star Wars Rebels and let me put it in a, in a live action movie. Hmm. Like some of those marketplace scenes, the scenes where. Um, where I think her name is Jin, the the protagonist for Rogue One, uh, is like running through and kicking around stormtroopers, and I'm like, this this literally feels like a scene with Sabine from Star Wars Rebels, hmm. where and then the whole trailer kind of feels like that. Where Rebels, Rebels and Clone Wars before it, um, to me aren't really they don't seem focused on the Star Wars grandeur, right? It's not. It, these are more telling, like, very quick standalone, sli- not even slice of life stories, but slice of Star Wars, I guess, where they just kind of drop you right in the middle of the action and they're just like, all right, go. 
you there's there's some stuff, you know, some backstory that's helpful to know, but it's not really about building, you know, it's it's not about telling the grand Joseph Campbell story. It's about here, here's this, you know, this specific action and this specific thing that's happening to these people who happen to exist in this larger world. Um and that's kind of the the vibe that I got from the Rogue One trailer is it's very much it jumps you right into the fact where it's like you either know where this is where this is and what's happening and you know what what the adats are and you know what that lady with short red hair is and and what her you know overwhelming significance is to the the greater Star Wars universe or you don't um and I don't know. It's I I understand where you, where you're coming from about the you know it doesn't it doesn't have the grandeur of a of a Star Wars uh, a Star Wars trailer or even feel so much like your traditional Star Wars movie. It's 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 a very gritty um, sort of down in the dirt version of it. Yeah, and I also feel like it just doesn't. I don't know. To me, like a teaser trailer is supposed to show you less but make it more. I don't know. I don't. I just feel like that cut, cut, cut style, and I don't think that the movie is going to be like that. I certainly hope not. No. Um, but I. I don't know. I feel like, uh, like a like for a first teaser, I'd rather just have it be one cool shot for the whole teaser, and that's it. And then, as opposed to, they kind of went the opposite way and tried to show like a ton of stuff. Yeah, they should. So this is this is something that's interesting to me. In that based this, I mean, this is the first visual we've really seen of Rogue One in about a year because last year we saw that that teaser one sheet of like them the the group standing together, um, and based on everything I've read up about Rogue One up until the point where the teaser trailer was released, my my inclination was this was going to be Ocean's Eleven in Star Wars, ah. where it was where it was supposed to be a, a heist movie, right? right? Where it's basically like she gets the team together and they build up everybody, and then they go in and they might have to go undercover. And it's not necessarily like jokey Ocean's Eleven, but it's the it's the same kind of beat and style. And then this teaser trailer comes out, and the teaser trailer is almost the exact opposite of what. I would expect from a heist movie. Right. Like you think, you think about teaser trailers for heist movies, right? Uh, you think about even any of the mission impossible trailers um, where if I look carefully at the trailer, you can kind of spot scenes where it's like, Oh, this is from the place where they're getting the gang together. And here's where they probably have to go undercover and are running from Imperials. Yeah, Here's where they're breaking into the unbreakable safe. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But it's, but it's told in such a different way. And I'm curious about that. I'm curious if it actually is a heist movie and they're just they're te- right now the tease is really we're just teasing you about our main character and it's not even so much about the movie and that's part of the reason of the cut 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 is that our main character is, you know, our our protagonists is a fast-paced like I'm going to, you know, either get into scrapes and be around explosions and end up in a cross between an inquisitor's uniform and a tie fighter uh mm. outfit at some point. Um I I don't know. It's it's interesting to me what kind of story they're trying to tell. And also I have lots of questions about the main character herself and how these standalone stories are supposed to fit into the star the greater Star Wars universe because I've had people argue on on both sides, right? I've had people argue oh, well, these are supposed to be entirely separate and they're really more like, you know, dives into backstory and they don't involve the main the main plot at all. Um, but but then I look at the other 
standalone stories they have, you know, slotted. And they've got the Young Han Solo movie. Oh, don't and even I'm get like, me started on Oh, that. I know. I know. I know. But but my thought is, well, if they're going to tell these standalone stories that, you know, may or may not revolve around major characters, what's to say that whatever happens in this movie, no, it may not, you know, directly be an installment of The Force Awakens um, sort of trilogy, but I'm I'm not entirely unconvinced that there's there's stuff that's going to happen into this in this movie that's going to be very important in episode eight and episode nine. Not necessarily on a grand scale, but you know, stuff. There's there's all kinds of potential theories there, and I feel like we would take three hours trying to discuss right. them all because we took two hours on incomparable. But. I love the idea of calling it like Ocean's Eleven in the Star Wars universe is mm-hmm. exactly. I if that's what it turns out being, even in some small. Just in a general direction, that would make me very happy. I think uh, the trailer certainly doesn't suggest that. No the trailer <laughs> makes it seem like it's, and I don't know that. The, I hope it's not. I just think I, I just worry that there is a sort of um, that the trailer is the teaser that we got is the result of a dysfunctional um, executive leadership at the new Lucasfilm and Disney. That it's less about making a super awesome trailer that that takes Star Wars in a new direction and more about, wait, we just made this great hit movie. Let's just make the most generic Star Wars trailer we could out of the footage we have because we, you know, we don't want to take any risks at all. That, I guess, is to me what I, I found a little disappointing in this is that to me it didn't seem like they took any risks at all other than the... I will admit that the the uh, although it to me it only continues a direction they started with a Force Awakens where clearly the protagonist is a woman and not a man, which is a significant change from traditional action movies and from the previous Star Wars movies. Um, but I would almost say that that's uh, after a, the Force Awakens. That's a lot less. They they don't even get as much credit for the risk because I feel like that risk was already taken in the Force Awakens. Mm-hmm. Well, they're they're continuing the, the story. I have a lot of faith in Kathleen Kennedy, um, just as a as the head of Lucasfilm and her ability to put together a good team. But there is there is a minor worry on my part about what Rogue One is going to look like, because we think about traditional Star Wars trailers and traditional Star Wars movies, right? Your first trailer usually comes about a year out. Like I would have expected to see the teaser attached to the force awakens right or it maybe even not on launch but like six weeks into the mm. force awakens come see it again and now the oh. rogue one teaser will be a, a, attached right damn, damn they should hire it... you serenity that's that's <laughs> genius that would have gotten good, me back it's good marketing right yeah. i would go a second time just to see the 30 second 60 yeah. second spot uh but if you think about traditional like medium budget movies a trailer a, a first teaser six months out is not an unusual thing but for a Star Wars movie to not have a teaser until six months out is it's almost crazy. It's like this is your first trailer and you're still probably going to have like another teaser and a couple full length trailers. It's like you're getting really close to the wire. And I'm not sure if that's intentional on their part that they don't want to take they don't want to pull too much focus away right. from the big the big movies, the trilogy movies, or whether there were some issues with Rogue One where they had to do some, you know, some post-production story editing or things like that. I've I've been a little worried hearing like with the radio silence around it that it is it was like a story problem. Hmm. But I don't know. I really don't like that's that's the that's the thing right now is we have this one trailer 
and the original description of Rogue One and that one sheet. And that's all we know about this movie. And I, I want to be tentatively excited because I the potential, even if the trailer, you know, the trailer, I think, is some somewhat Star Wars and somewhat very not Star Wars in that the the visuals are all right to me. Um, the, the quick cutting may not be your style and it's not quite Star Wars' style either, but the visuals look great. The brief moment of characterization that we have from basically Jin and Mon Mothma are really the only people who get more than a line or two in this. And um, and uh, Forrest Whitaker, Whitaker's crazy uh, character with the breathing apparatus. Um, yeah, what's with all the respiratory illnesses? I'm that? so curious. Well, it's lots of lots of desert planets, John. <laughs> I feel I feel like there's probably some some issues with health there. Or like they don't show it, but everybody in the Star Wars universe smokes. Oh my God. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just don't how show do- it on screen. <laughs> That's how you can get deal with the hazards of space vaping. <laughs> oh God. Um, I don't know. Jin is really interesting to me as a character. I talked about it a little bit on on the Incomparable podcast, but I. I'm really curious if they're going to tie her into the main story. Like, does she die before episode four? Because she's not, she's obviously not in the Rebels hangar. Like, she's she's not around. And I don't know if you read any of the Extended Universe books, but, like, one of my thoughts was, well, are they going to do a Mara Jade-style thing where this, you know, this basically one of the prominent badass lady characters in the Extended Universe books was... Um, was a character who, you know, was kind of very gray for a long time. And the, the the possibility of telling a story, like a Star Wars story, that's not light side and dark side, that is like, that centers around a gray character, that that part really excites me. And that's kind of what the trailer seemed to be flirting with, was the idea of like, yeah, we're not we're not going to tell us a story about a grand arc and a, and a Joseph Campbell story. We're going to tell a story about like the people who have to make the hard decisions, who aren't, mm. You know, who don't always get to stand on the side of light or the side of dark. And I don't know. It's I, I'm excited. I, I it's I, I, I see where you're hesitant and I see where you're concerned. But yeah. I'm also I'm still kind of like there are a lot of potential good things here. It doesn't make me pessimistic. It makes me a little bit more pessimistic than it was. But I was already kind of pessimistic about the movie. But it, the thing that it just disappoints me because to me, it wasn't a great trailer. To me, a great trailer makes me want to say. I want to see that movie today. And Rogue One trailer did not do that for me at Aww. all. It just kind of gave me a, eh, I can wait. Yeah. See, I really liked the trailer. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, that's why, you know, it's, yeah. good to have, it's good to have differences. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, I feel like you're allowed to not like the trailer and I'm allowed to like the trailer. And I hope that the first real trailer is a little bit less cut, cut, cutty. Um, in part because, you know. They have a, there's a lot of really pretty, uh, really pretty scenes that look like they were sh- being shot in the half a second that we got. Did you think it was weird that the Death Star seemed fully constructed? Uh, no. I mean, they didn't show it in a long shot. They only showed like it, it's, they showed that like the dish yeah. being put in. So who knows? Maybe if you pull back yeah. more, it's you know because yeah, there know- might still be like bits and pieces. We've seen in progress Death Stars before, right? <laughs> Well, I want that makes me wonder how close are we to a new hope, right? Because right. in a new hope, the Death Star, like the Death Star, was close to fully operational. It was right. flying between planets. It was shooting things. Um, so it may have just been one of those things where everything was built save for the firing dish, or maybe they have to replace the firing dish. I don't yeah. know. There's there's so many so many opportunities for antics. Yeah. All right. Anything else you want to talk about this week? Um. 
think you know what? No. I, yeah, I feel like we've we've covered we've covered good things. Um. Oh, I actually I saw. Speaking of Star Wars, to close it out on Star Wars, I um I watched the Force Awakens uh the behind the scenes documentary that was included with the uh with the iTunes extras because of course Force Awakens is on DVD, Blu-ray, iTunes, etc. Everywhere in the U.S. and I think the U.K. gets it later this week. Uh, and that was really awesome. Uh, it's just a good good documentary overall. But the highlight of it is they show um, they have a scene of like, oh, you know, Harrison Ford is entering our model of the Millennium Falcon for the first time. Um, mm. And they they in the documentary, they they clip or they, they cut between finished clips of the movie and then the behind the scenes of when this is all happening. Uh, and there's just this really nice moment where you start on the the actual scene of Han like walking into the the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon and doing the the smile and the self satisfied like we're finally here. And then you cut to the behind the scenes and you see him out of frame. He's pulled um he's pulled two tiny little dice from his pocket and he hangs them up on one of the like higher switches huh. in the Millennium Falcon's cockpit. It's just like not big fuzzy dice, like miniature versions of tiny fuzzy dice. And he hangs them and he, then he sits down and smiles. And I'm just like, this is, that's that's the true heart of Star Wars right there. I, I believe Ford. that there were <laughs> tiny little non-fuzzy dice in the New Hope. I think, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a I, callback to that. Exactly. I think, I think he's been carrying around those tiny fuzzy dice for like 40 years <laughs> and just <laughs> brought it back <laughs> all right i i have not watched it on home video yet i've been saving it we we still have a lot of contention in our household over <laughs> over what happens to Han Solo. oh boy yeah i i understand that so that was a very <laughs> we watched it last night for uh for rick's birthday and it was definitely a uh <laughs> it was definitely a contentious scene even the dogs don't like it hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, you did the thing where you watched with BB-8 too, right? I did, I right. did. I watched, I watched bits and pieces with the with the, It's it. That's that droid gets so chatty. It's it's really funny to do it. Not as a like, I wouldn't suggest doing it if you really want to pay attention to the movie. But if you want to get a kick at while having it on in the background, BB-8 will talk pretty much nonstop about any scene that has him in it, any scene that has Poe Dameron in it, or any time the characters make what. BB-8 thinks is a stupid decision. You'll hear no, 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 and it and it'll shake his little head. It's super cute. It's a pretty cool feature. So anyway, the long it story is. short is, if you have that little BB-8 toy that you can drive with your, um, with your iPhone, if you watch the movie with that toy, the BB-8 watches along with you and reacts. <laughs> it's super cute. You have to have the BB-8 in its base because of battery, and you have to have your phone plugged in and the app open, which is like the dumb part. But Still pretty fun. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Serenity. People can uh, find all the Serenity they want on Twitter. Uh, what's your Twitter handle? I always forget. It's Saturn. S e t t e r n. S e t t e r n. And weird, random, switch and, word. <laughs> and your work at uh, imore.com. So my thanks to you. My thanks to our sponsors, Casper, the place where you go to buy mattresses, Squarespace, the place where you go to build a website, Igloo, the internet you'll actually like, and Fracture, the place where you can uh, get your photos printed directly on glass. Um, talk to you soon. Yeah. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you, Serenity.